I think it's time to open the books uh, on, on uh, questions that have remained in the dark, on the, on the question of, of government investigations of, of UFOs. It's time to find out what, what the truth really is that's out there. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. So Bird looks at his, uh, his people on the committee and he says to them, are we financing flying saucers at Area 51? And they go, I don't know. And he said, well, if we're financing flying saucers, we don't know about it and we're the ones that are putting up the money. Okay, guys, welcome back to the America Show. Uh, we are going to be chatting with Grant Cameron again a little bit later. Um, another three-hour escapade, which is fantastic. But first, as always, Graham, I lost my voice yelling for help, Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Good. How you doing? Not bad. I got it back a little bit today. Not really. You sound like you're in puberty. Thanks, buddy. Anytime. Yeah, what an episode with Grant coming up on this uh, this podcast. Yeah, one for the book. Fascinating. And we're expediting the release because of the time-sensitive material kind of more on the political realm yeah. about Hillary Clinton and the campaign and talking about UFOs and Podesta and all this cool stuff. UFOs. And then we get into uh, <clears throat> Alien Rock, the book by Michael Luckman, and Grant's got a whole bunch of books he's uh, trying to get released. A lot of stuff on musicians and their experiences. We touched on that with Kevin Estrella. Yeah. Yeah. Talked about that stuff a little bit. We get into it a little bit more here. Yeah, it's a good chat. Yeah. So how you been, buddy? I'm doing good. I've yeah. been losing your voice. I'm doing well. I'm excited. I'm not really sick. I just lost my voice. So yelling for help. Yeah, I was yelling for help. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm excited. We got uh, lots of good shows coming up. Everything's everything's rolling along. Got some feedback from some listeners and got some spam. couple synchronicities. Yes, we had a. Fellow donate some teriyaki spam to the studio. Which is fantastic. On behalf of Spam and Spam and Graham. Spam. <laughs> you even got a jingle ready. You got spam, buddy. I got I, want, I might bust into some of this teriyaki tonight. Actually, you know, I still got a little bit of that borscht soup left, which is fucking amazing. I'm gonna eat that tonight, maybe get into the spam tomorrow. I think we should just keep it in the studio for when we get hungry. Oh, so then I'll just come out to the studio and be hungry tomorrow. All right, buddy. Well, just at least we got we got enough to last a while. It's better fried. They've got a little recipe on the I can. Slice it up into little slices and fry it up. They've got a little recipe. It's breakfast musubi, and it's just add spam, saute spam teriyaki slices, lightly browned, layer of rice, bacon, and scrambled eggs on top. Perfect. Put real pork and with fake pork. And then you slice it in a musabi press. So I don't really know what. Oh, it's a oh, it's a sushi type dish. Anything <laughs> <laughs> about a sushi type dish? Mechanically separated sushi. That's right. Mechanically separate. There's mechanically separated chicken is the <clears throat> second biggest ingredient in spam. 
after pork and ham. Which makes you wonder what ham is, if not pork. Because in the real world, it's pork. But maybe... In the spam world, maybe you can't call. A different maybe, part of the pig, maybe or you're what? not allowed to call hoofs pork, which are away with calling them. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's delicious. So what do you got synchros. Well, I can. Why don't we just stick with the spam? Uh, spam. spam. <laughs> no, come on, not again. So this is a letter that I got in uh, with the PO box with a, a donation and. Uh, Eight cans of spam, teriyaki spam. Eight cans of teriyaki spam. So he says, greetings, Great America boys. This is my first time contacting you guys and contributing. I've been listening for a little over two years now. And apologies for just contributing now because I do believe in the value for value model and you guys are absolutely bringing tremendous amount of value. When I began my journey in this material, I started following RPJ. That's Red Pill Junkie, one of our regular guests here. Following his work, which led me to his appearance on your show, and I've been hooked ever since. You should give him a finder's fee for all the folks that have come along this route. I love your style of interviewing and the great and varied guests you have on this show, so don't change. I love how you guys are able to get great information from your guests without making slash taking yourselves too seriously. Because at the end of the day, we don't have all the facts and answers to any of this shit, but enjoy the exploration. I find myself laughing out loud when listening, and it's hard not to think of Strange Brew and the McKenzie Brothers, which have been mentioned by many other listeners. I thank you guys for leading me to other favorite podcasts like Skeptico and Alex. I loved it when you guys are on together, and all the work of Randall Carlson and many other great guests. So here are my two synchronicities. I was driving and binge listening to episodes, which is how I listen to podcasts. I'm a rambling <coughs> That's how I listen to podcasts too. How? I binge listen to them. Not me. Well, I listen to as many as I can while I'm driving around. It's like some days, if I'm from site to site, I listen to like maybe three hours. Yeah, but what he's saying is he listens to the same one over and over, probably like the same one binge listens, right? Mm, like I'll save up, not, a, I'll oh, save you mean up like a bunch, to a show? Yeah. and then listen to all of them at once. I can't do that. I want to get the new one. Whatever one I'm, whatever one's my my hot one at at that time. That's an, when the new one comes out. Everything else goes to the side. I can't believe you do that. You need some more room on your phone so you can just have mass amounts of I podcasts have 30 on there. Gigs. What are you doing? There? I have Moby Dick too. <laughs> it's in case. What's that? A backup? The story. Moby Dick. It's oh, a book. I thought it was like a, a gig backup or something like that. No. Okay, so. That's <laughs> your, your backup. is called Moby Dick. <laughs> so uh, what does he say? So he says he was binge listening to podcasts when he came upon this episode of that we, that obviously we did with uh, Judy, Judith Very Baker and Lee Harvey Oswald. And about a minute in, I was driving close to Sonora and Yosemite National Park, pretty rural. I just glanced to read a street sign, Kennedy Road, off the CA Highway 120. I just had a nice little chuckle on that. Don't read that one. It's just a mini one that happens to me all the time. Don't read it. But whatever it would, it would add a point for to <laughs> added to it. So second one, this is good. I was in Hawaii for work. 
and decided to contact my friend who I've been thinking about, but I haven't spoken to in about four years. So I shoot him a text, seeing what he was up to, and that I was in the area. I didn't hear back from him for, for hours. I was driving my rental car, and I glanced to my right, and my buddy and his wife are on a moped right next to me, and I just start laughing and roll down my window and say, Aloha. They were so shocked to see me, and it's been so long. We pulled over and just picked up like it was yesterday. He didn't get my text from earlier. I can go on and on about this one. He is working on a project, his nonprofit, that I was able to connect him with another friend that is doing similar work, and they are synergizing and collaborating <laughs> on their work. Do you want to rate that one now, or do you want me to continue on with the letter? Is that the end of the synchro? Yep. <clears throat> mm. That's pretty cool. Eight. Wow. That's a good one. I like that one. Well, he sent the spam. <laughs> <laughs> Teriyaki spam gets you a higher score. So I love the show, spirit, and energy you guys are putting out there and can't thank you guys enough. Hope the spam and the donation helps keep the, keep the igloo warm. Guess I would like to see on the show an Austrian researcher slash curator, Klaus Donna. We've heard that name many times before. Tons of info on pyramids and ancient artifacts. He's like Graham Hancock. Ancient sites. If you Google him, all the background info will come up for you. I think he's legit and from what I've seen and read. So if you can make that happen more, spam your way. That's sincerely Johnny V. Now, Johnny also says, P.S. Make Graham say Nassau. And if possible, can I get a Grammarica email? And if you have a t-shirt, I will pay for it. So he doesn't only get to hear... Graham say Nassau in this episode, but our episode, <laughs> our guest Greg Cameron says it the same way I do, I believe, doesn't he, Darren? Because you had a little chuckle he does, there. But I bit my tongue. See, it's a Canadian thing. No, Nassau. I'm Canadian and I say NASA. NASA? Yeah. Instead of Nassau? Instead of Nassau, which is, I don't know what the fuck <laughs> Nassau is. It's a place in the Bahamas. <clears throat> so he wants an email as well. So I don't know if that's like Johnny V at com, but you might want to mention to guests that, um, they can have emails if they contribute regularly, right? Are you I still doing that? I mentioned that in a long time. I yeah, know. We forgot still to doing do that. that. Yeah. So, Johnny, let us know what you want. Johnny V at com or something, and I'll send you a T-shirt. Give me your size and address. Absolutely. Thanks for the support and for the spam. That donation and might help get me to uh, maybe a spot at a UFO Congress or something if I can weasel my way down there for a couple of days. There you have it. So check out grammarica.ca slash support. And uh, for all the ways you can help us along too, big thanks to Johnny. And of course, uh, we haven't talked about that in a while, but anyone who subscribes for the Bucca Show, uh, which is the five fifty five a month plan or higher, gets a Grammarica email address. Right on. Something at grammarica.ca or dot com. Except for Graham, 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 or Ramblin' Graham. Those are taken. Really? No. Well, a couple of them are. And there's some CAs that forward around. So would you like another cool synchro, or do you want to get into some feedback from uh, the magic guy, Blue Sky, from last episode?
I'll flip your papers around. Is this one from? Did it come with any spam? Uh, no, no spam with it. Ooh. Now th- this one, um, I want to I want to mention. It's kind of a tribute to a couple episodes ago. We re-released our episode with um, David McGowan uh, about weird scenes in the canyon in Laurel from Laurel Canyon. And I forgot I should have put a link in the show to this blog that um, this guy wrote about about his death and about his um, work on nine twelve, basically the day after nine eleven. I listened to that recently. And it was it was uh, crazy how how foretelling it was. So I'm going to put a link uh, link to that blog um, in the show notes if anybody wants to see it. And it's got some really cool writings about Dave McGowan and all his work. So we had a listener email in about a synchronicity in regards to the weird sink in the canyon. That's what he's calling it. And it's from Alan Alan N. He says, great show, guys. You've inspired me to start writing in the hopes that I can become obscurely famous and appear on your show, if only to give the more important guests a token reprieve from the conversation. Maybe I'm just hearing things. I think you'll appreciate this sink. I have brothers that live on the U.S. East, east coast of the U.S. John is a conspiracy theorist from way back. John cut his teeth on the UFO thing before I was born. Larry is a CT user as well, but Larry's usage is more for fun. John likes to go to Dallas every year for the JFK circus. <laughs> John also likes to get public with the issues while Larry is a private user, which makes Larry's stash a little more adventuresome. Larry turned me on to David McGowan. Unbelievable to me was that John didn't know who McGowan was until Larry and I started emailing each other about his passing, CCing John on the correspondence. Guess where John happened to be traveling when he read our emails? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Laurel Canyon. Really? Yeah. So it's really John Synchro. FAQs. He's included a list of FAQs. Are they brothers like in siblings? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what was he doing in Laurel Canyon? Visiting family. Weird. Huh? Did you know he had family there? No. <laughs> Why would some things be more adventuresome? Danger. Like what? Incarceration. Worse. <laughs> Why is Dallas a circus? A, probably not. I like the big picture or... What do all the dots say? John likes the details. Or what is that dot made of? If I went and observed Dallas, I'm sure there's some circus there. What is getting public with the issues? John would come on your show. Larry wouldn't. (laughs) Keep up the good work. Oh, PayPal is no pal of mine. An option is to set up an automatic banking to shoot you a check every month. I'm telling the banksters to lick my stamp. Thanks for reading, Alan. Uh, Sounds like another good one to me. Hmm, that is pretty good. Uh, five and a half. What? <laughs> no, I'm joking. 
Let's go. Hmm. It's got to get an extra couple points just just for the format the of this show. So then it's well written with the FAQs. We will give it a seven point nine two. Oh, nice. Which of course is a seven point five with the point four two for the show. So yeah, that was a good one. So I've got um, now. I guess we want to talk about this. Uh, the last episode where I, I mentioned uh, the blue sky <clears throat> energy that one can see if they use the magic eye process to look at the sky, like as in don't focus on the sky and then sort of refocus and you'll see see this um, sky sperm fluorescent uh, <laughs> energy. <clears throat> My kid sees those. Come on, really? What if you're talking about those things that fly around in your eye? I'm not talking about like those. Depleted rods and cones. The fuck they are. <clears throat> so, which one do you want to start with? Boy's choice. Yeah, this I'll. Uh, this is a, a actually a note on YouTube from Marker One One Three. He says, "Beyonds, fellas," which I'm assuming is uh, Beyonds. Hello or something. Beyonds. Beyonds. Yeah. I think he's saying he's answering what you think your sky is. Oh, Bions. Bions. No, I don't think so. Well, luckily. Well, he says that energy that looked like sperm coming in and out of the visible realm is organ, he says. Not yeah. sure if you've had a show about it, but it is closely related to radionics. We talked about radionics on a show with uh, the guy about the dinosphere there. With the, uh, oh yeah, the chick magnet. Yeah. <laughs> Two major causes of life, most aren't taught, sun and moon, and ion and satian, the push and pull of the etheric inertia, creates all that we know as reality through the diversion of the unseen. So funny. Nothing. Keep going. What's so funny? Nothing. Is this a joke? No. <laughs> Are you putting me out to something? No. I've seen them at night in cloud cover, but mostly on a nice day. Since they respond to our interaction, a clear head will allow your heart to activate them at a distance. Love the show. Ah, oh, you guys sitting here fucking sky sperms. Okay, so I got another email from Store. Oh, Emil. Emil. Emil? Emil in Sweden. And he sees sky things, sky sperms? Hello, he says. Thanks for a pool... Thanks for a cool podcast. I always love it when you release a new episode. Please keep it up. Anyways, I'm now just listening to the latest, and you guys are talking about the squiggly little orbs you can see in the sky. This is called Blue Field and Topic. No, it's called <laughs> Blue Field and Toptic Phenomena, and it's basically shadows from your blood cells in your eyes. Bingo, bang. There's more in Toptic Phenomena like that which can get a permanent place in your vision. It's called visual snow syndrome or HPPD if it's from drugs. And it also includes the energy you said someone claimed to see. Since I've got VS, possibly light HPPD from many pounds of hash I've ingested over the years, I see it constantly and it's not the first time I hear claims of it being energy. Usually by some sandal-wearing yoga vegan, you know the stereotypical new ager. Wink. You're wearing your sandals right now. I'm not wearing my sandals right now. I don't have. Well, I do have thongs. You probably figured out 
or someone told you by now, but I felt the urge to email you partly because of synchros. I've had a shitload of synchronicities last year when me and my girlfriend had a rough time and then our relationship ended and the synchros almost stopped completely. What should I make of that? Sincerely, Emil in Sweden. That your proper past is fighting with I, that woman? No, it's not fighting with her. The synchro was telling you you're on the right path to get out of that relationship. Then you probably should have had a couple of synchros after the breakup. No, <laughs> no, he said they're the, they're stop, almost stopped completely. But so is is he happier or sad? That's the big question, isn't it? That's the question. So what if Only what if possibilities? What, what if, what if that's not really science and that's just the, the, the scientists making shit up to fit their paradigm because they don't think you can actually see this unseen energy? Like, what if the drugs, like, have you, ever, have you heard of LSD opening up? I guess like how some people, fucking deeper you want to go. What if this table isn't a table? What if it's just a fucking donkey? Some people say that LSD opens you up. It clears something away or, or it filters something or it takes away a filter so that you can actually see the vibrations that are happening in reality. Like, you know, if you're tripping on acid, you can actually see shit vibrate. So no, maybe that's I not can, a hallucination. I've done my own maybe experiments with those things in my eyes. No, you're not talking about, you're still not on the right things in your eyes. Yes, I am. No, you're not. I'm talking about exactly what he's talking about. No, you're not. Yes, They're I talking am. about the blue, he's talking about the squiggly things the in shadows. the sky. No, he's talking about the shadows. The shadows from your blood cells. Yes. That's not those dark lines floating back and forth. That's not the same thing. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. I've, t I've told you about it. This guy, he, it's a blue, look at, listen to what he calls it. it. It's called blue field entoptic phenomena. Blue yeah. field. It's the shadow of your blood cell. Now. It's the fucking sun like shining through that blood cell. And it's, and you think it's, so you next time you see it, next time you see it, here, do a trick. Look over here. Look no, over I've there. Already, see you weren't even listening to me last episode. I explained that to you. Uh, it doesn't move with your eyes. It's all over. It moves. The, the black things move yeah, with your it's eyes. It's all over because it moves with your eyes. That's the why it's everywhere you you're, look. You're not even it's listening in your eye. You're not listening to me. Uh, I, Joe, my sister Joe and I did the test when we, we moved there because we, we saw the black things as well and we saw the squiggly lights. You saw them both. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you, when your eyes move, the black things move, but the squiggly lights are all around the sky. So what if the drugs that this guy has had just enables him to see the real energy? But the scientists won't accept that because it doesn't fit the paradigm. <laughs> I think you've cracked it. Bye, George. I want to know more about your experience with these, uh, these things. Next. <laughs> what? The depleted... Shadows or whatever the fuck they are. Okay, I got some more feedback. You know yeah. why I know is because I've just been explaining them to Madison. Because she gets sometimes she's like, I could see the things are moving. Yeah, she thinks they're. She's like trying to grab them in the room. Wow, she doesn't That's realize crazy. that they're in her eyes. Yeah, not the same thing. Same thing. You can't see it in a room. You need the blue sky behind you, like a green screen. Nobody can see your fucking hand waving back yeah. and forth. Okay, so I got another one here from Mathis. And I don't even know how that's a good signal for fucking blue sky. How is waving your hand over your head? I'm is? trying to show you like the the what do you show sense me? of the whole sky, okay, right? Above you. <laughs> You're doing a terrible job. You'd be horrible at charades. <laughs> I'm actually pretty good at charades. <laughs> I bet. I always used to want to play and nobody would want to play. 
That's because you were terrible. Just nobody wanted to play on your team. Because you're probably like, hey, come on, man. Look, I'm waving my hand over my head. How can you not get this? Get all upset. It's a blue sky. (laughs) It's a blue sky. Come on. Uh, Do you want me to read Mathis's too? I guess I should since I've already said it. So he says, kudos on the show, gentlemen. After listening for about one year, I feel I got to give you some Viking love. First, want to comment on your hosting, which I feel is top-notch in all its hard-on-your-sleeve type of way. So it's oddly refreshing to have your yin-yang duality play out amongst the two of you, with one leaning, delving into, and the other dissecting it. Being a Norwegian, it was easy on the eye. I got some Norwegian Looking at the Easter Island pictures of yours. Gotta get me a t-shirt. I want to help in other ways than, than with money, since I'm a musician and broke most of the time. So I'll be checking in at your support page and see if we'll get in touch somehow. Let's see if a synchronicity plays any part of our jam. Gentlemen, you guys remind me of Han Solo and Chewbacca sometimes. Who's who? Love from Mattis. <laughs> Love from Mattis. <laughs> I haven't seen Star Wars. Ah, you should. <clears throat> yeah, I did. it's good. I've seen it on Sunday. Oh, you went and see it. I thought you said you hadn't seen it. I've seen it. What'd you think? It was good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed the Star Trek trailer at the beginning of it more, most. I don't know if I saw them when the I went. Was it? Yeah, it comes wouldn't, I've, wouldn't I have seen it, or did they know. just add the trailer? I don't know. I don't know if they mix them up or not. But I don't remember. I'm sure I'm sure I would have remembered it. And then there was the boat one where the Captain Kirk's on a boat going out to save the other boat that's split in half. Yeah. No, I no. didn't see it. No. Did you see the IMAX? Yes, I did. Hmm. I always go to IMAX when possible. Whenever possible? Yeah. What else you got? Buddy? Well, I got a UFO quote of the week. Or did I say it already? Uh, yes, you did. No, I didn't actually. Down the cram, going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of the week. All right, this is an appropriate one for our episode with Grant Cameron, who ran the presidential UFO website. Okay, okay. I looked out the window and saw this white light. It was zigzagging around. I went up to the pilot and said, have you ever seen anything like this? He looked at me and said, nope. And I said to him, let's follow it. We followed it for several minutes. It was a bright white light. We followed it to Bakersfield. And all of a sudden, to our utter amazement, it went straight up to the heavens. When I got off the plane, I told Nancy all about it. Ronald Reagan? Ronald Reagan. President Ronald Reagan describing his 1974 UFO encounter to veteran newsman Norman C. Miller, then Washington Bureau of Chief for the Wall Street Journal. Sounds made up. That's just the way I read it. He was an actor, too. I don't think it was made up. No, you think somebody's going to make up a UFO encounter at that time and be ridiculed to death? Not when you're the fucking president. Nobody ridicules the president. Ridicules? <laughs> oh, just everybody? He's too, he's too ridicule. Ah, I think I've had enough. All right. Me too, buddy. <laughs> All right, guys. Enjoy the uh, support the show. Go America.ca slash support. Uh, sign up for a monthly. Help us keep paying the bills. And uh, keep going for another 150 shows. 
T-shirts are in if they want to donate. Yeah. I sent a few out. There's some T-shirts on the page. You can check those out, buy those up, and we might buy more. Um, there's been talk of coffee mugs. Rebecca.ca slash news is the newsletter. Spam gram. And, uh, yeah, nice to hear from our uh, Scandinavian listeners all of a sudden. Getting That's feedback right. from yeah. that. There must have been some That was my call out to strange countries. Oh, was it? Yeah, let's go. So I think we've still only got feedback from like eight countries. I love the Scandinavian people. So let's go for eight more next they week. They remind me of Canada. You know when Vancouver's hockey team had all Scandinavians and Canadians, they were the best. Yeah. And, and then I stopped watching send hockey. Some, send us that. some spam for Graham. Try and get some spam that's gluten-free so we can eat it at night. <laughs> no, not gluten-free. And send your carb cash. Carb-free. Carb-free. Gluten-free, carb-free. Isn't that the same thing? No, it's not. No? Gluten's just a type of carb? So no, gluten, carb is worse because gluten's that, in a carb. You're supposed to be the chef talking about re- you're going to put recipes on the show and stuff and you don't even know the difference between gluten and carbs? I just bring good food, man. I'm not a fucking foodatologist. <laughs> You know, it's going to be a quote on Twitter, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. Enjoy the chat with uh, Grant Callen. again tonight is Grant Cameron for a second visit in Grand America. He was uh, here before, just after he kind of switched gears into more of the consciousness aspect of UFOs after spending like decades doing hardcore governmental paperwork research and stuff like that. He had a website, uh, President's UFO, and uh, yeah, he, he had some experiences decades ago that kind of led him to that. And then he had an experience at, at UFO Congress that we talked about on our last show that kind of switched gears for him into the consciousness stuff and I just saw him in Calgary a couple months ago do a talk about uh, his new research. It was really fascinating. It was a great talk. So uh, we got lots to talk about. Last, I remember last time I got drunk. What? Really? Because <laughs> it oh, went so yeah. long, remember? I was having drinks, and then we ended up going for three and a half hours. So by the end, I think... You know what? That could have been the turning point of when Darren quit drinking on the show. Cause... <laughs> so, so we probably won't go for too long because we... Grant and I have a cold, as you'll be able to tell. So welcome to the show, Grant. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. It's just fascinating. It's it's actually, I, I kind of like it more than what you're doing before. And that was interesting. Yeah. Although I'm back, I'm back down the rat hole. Again. I was just going to say, because <laughs> I've been getting these emails from the, uh, the Paradigm Research Group, and I, I forward them <laughs> on to Darren, <laughs> Darren and Red Pill Junkie, these guys, and, and uh, kind of make jokes about 
Hillary Clinton and all that. And I thought you're probably in the, and I, I've seen your name a couple of times. So I figured you're in the middle of that and maybe we should start there and just talk to some people about what's going on. What yeah, I, I can actually tell you, I actually gave my documents away. I said, okay, I don't need this anymore. And I, I was just dealing with a guy by the name of Mike Luckman last year. I'm doing the, the alien music stuff. Yes. And I was dealing with him and he was going to have a, a uh, UFO Woodstock. And it was going to be held at Pepperdine University in California. He was negotiating. He was going to have the Rolling Stones there. He was going to have David Bowie there. All these musicians, experiencer musicians. And then he ended up dying. So I, I, I have all these. I've got about maybe five or six books that are sort of either they're partly done. None of them have been edited. You always have, you always have problems getting people to edit the stuff to look right. through it. Yeah. Stuff like that. So. Uh, when he died, I was kind of shaken up uh, because he had a second book on alien rock coming out and he had this uh, big UFO Woodstock concert. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, my goodness, I've got all this presidential stuff, all these uh, FOIAs I filed. And I was so much into consciousness and doing these other books that I figured, well, I'm probably not going to do anything with these things for like five, ten years. So I gave them all away just before this happened. <laughs> I gave them to... Um, uh, Dr. Joe Bookman, who was the, what, the sort of the moderator at the citizens hearing, a PhD guy out of uh, Salt Lake City, hmm. and uh, ran for the Independence Party, uh, used the UFO platform, and uh, is big political guy. So I said to him, maybe you can do something with this, take right, all the right. FOIAs and stuff. And I, so I actually mailed him all the documents, and he's got the original wow. Rockefeller Initiative documents. And all of a sudden, here's this. Suddenly Hillary Clinton has talked UFOs and it's like uh, suddenly I'm in the middle of this thing because what happened was uh, she talks to this Damon Steer who I've had extensive conversations with over the last couple of weeks. Oh, wow. And um, uh, Damon talks to her in 2007 when she's running the first time and he never publishes the article and he talks to her in 2007 and it's at that point she says, well, yeah, I'm into the UFO thing and she says, you realize that the top requested item at the Clinton Library for FOIAs is uh, UFOs. And so when I heard that, I'm going like, wow, you know, you spend your whole career, you think nobody's listening to you and, you know, <laughs> it's a waste of time and stuff. And suddenly here you get the first lady, uh, you know, running for president who actually refers to my FOIAs because all the FOIAs that she's talking about are mine, all the ones at the Clinton Library. So I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, now I've got to get back in this. I don't have the documents. And uh, then I started dealing with the... Um, uh, the reporter, this Damon Steer, and this is actually a really, really important story that people, um, it's gone viral. There's maybe a thousand different uh, podcasts and, you know, newspapers and media things that have picked up this story. So it's gone pretty viral around the world. Uh, but some of the stuff she's saying is really significant. And she's the first person ever to actually, because uh, a lot of them, like if you listen to Bill Clinton or... Um, you know, any of this, the people who are asked the question, they'll hypothesize that, yeah, there's, there's probably life in outer space. We can't be the only people in the universe and all this kind of stuff. But Hillary's the first one that actually said they may actually be here. And that, this is shocking. I mean, this is a real move from just hypothesizing because that's the, the big thing when you get to consciousness is when you get up against the, the, the real skeptics, the basic skeptic argument against UFOs is, you can't get here from there yeah. because of this time and space thing. You can't go past the speed of light, yada, yada. They can't get here and all this sort of stuff. And if you understand consciousness, you understand that they're not flying through time and space. They're actually just moving from one place in the universe to the other. Uh, but Hillary's the first one to actually say 
basically they may be here and bringing the the debate from out there to actually here and that's changes the whole scenario and i was talking to steve bassett a few times since this happened and um, i said to steve and i really believe um this was always a toxic issue this is the other important thing about the hillary thing uh if you remember back in 2008 i i put on my facebook site on my presidential facebook site I put out the article and I'd never published it. I put a, I wrote a huge article on the 2008 election. And a lot of the campaign people in the 2008 election were asked about it. McCain was asked and Kucinich and Hillary and a lot of people were asked the question. And uh, Dennis Kucinich was, of course, asked the question in the 2007 presidential debate in Philadelphia about the UFO sighting he'd had at Shirley McLean's house. And this was a close encounter. This was like 50 yards away from this thing. Mm -hmm. It was over the swimming pool. He was getting messages in his head and stuff like that. And when he was asked that question uh, at, during the debate, I mean, his campaign ended. It was as simple as that. He was just like wiped off the map. I, I watched all the reports, all the... Yeah. Every time they would do a news story on him, they'd always talk about the crazy guy who saw the UFO. So it was a toxic issue. And then um, the important thing about Hillary was that... Um, I've been telling people, because every time you post something, you get the Hillary haters out there. And they just go, and I go like, come on, give your head a shake. Quit watching the puppet. Watch, yeah. watch the puppet master. It's not Hillary. It's John Podesta. The guy behind Hillary is the campaign manager. And John Podesta is this guy. He was the former chief of staff for Bill Clinton. And uh, he helped Bill Clinton um, draft a 1995 executive order that went after declassifying documents mm -hmm. and they were able to force out 800 million pages of documents by changing the rules on how documents get held uh, under secrecy uh, rules. So John Podesta is a big Madison guy. He wants disclosure. He wants open government. He wants everything disclosed about everything. He believes that you cannot govern the people unless the people know what the heck's going on. Yeah, yeah. So John Podesta is the campaign manager. And when you're running a presidential campaign, this is a billion-plus-dollar campaign. And there is no way, and I, this is why I say this is so important, you got to watch the puppet master, not the puppet, that John, that John Podesta, Hillary did a, a video interview about maybe two months ago. And uh, the woman that interviewed her, John Podesta tweeted, nice interview, I think Lena was her name. Nice interview, Lena. Next time, ask her about the aliens. Yeah. And when I saw that, I said, wow, this is significant that he's the campaign manager. And I know for a fact that everything that a campaign manager does when they're running a presidential campaign is polled. You do not just throw crap out there that you don't know what's going to happen because it's a billion-dollar campaign. So when John Podesta says to this woman in the video, next time ask her about the aliens, he's polled the issue. And it is no longer like the 2008 election where it's a toxic issue where if you bring up UFOs, you're, you're finished. He's polled the issue and he knows that uh, that this is a positive issue. And so you, you look at it and, and what's happening, I always now trying to explain to people how these campaigns work, is that if you're a campaign manager for the Democratic Hillary Clinton campaign, you really don't care if uh, – Trump gets 35,000 people in Mississippi or wherever. He got this huge crowd or whatever because those people are going to vote Republican one way or the other. You're not, you're not going to win those votes. And you're not, you don't, you're not going to go to a state like California and spend all your money because California is going to write, vote Democratic. All you're really interested in, if you're the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton or any other campaign, 
All you're interested in is swing voters and swing states. And that's why you'll never see the campaign go to North Dakota or Montana or Texas or any of these states where it's, it's, it's known where they're, how they're going to vote. Louisiana, all these states. They're going to be in New Hampshire because you want to win the first state. They're going to be in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, all these swing states. That's what you spend your money on. You're not going to spend your money trying to win votes that you already got. And I point out to people that's why in 1995, Bill Clinton ended up at the Rockefeller Ranch. He didn't go to the Rockefeller Ranch because he wanted to go to the Rockefeller Ranch. It was the last place in the world he wanted to go. Bill Clinton always spent his holidays in the Hamptons with all his rich people, his friends in the Hamptons, and they would have you know parties and, and go golfing and stuff like that. And Dick Morris, who was running Bill Clinton's campaign in 1995, Bill Clinton was down in the 1995 campaign. He'd already had some of the scandal stuff starting. And Dick Morris had done the polling, and he had determined that the swing voters in the 1995 election were people who were into technology and into outdoors, into nature. And that's why he said to Bill, you got to go to the Rockefeller Ranch and you got to do the camping and you got to do the whitewater rafting and ride around on horses and stuff like this. And this is the last thing Bill wanted to do. And that's why he went. And Dick Morris, if you read his book, uh, he talks about talking to Bill Clinton at the Rockefeller Ranch and that he had to hold the phone away from his head because Bill was screaming into the phone, get me out of here, get me out of here, I hate it. And he, he didn't want to be there. And if it hadn't been for the, the fact that that was the swing vote um, type of audience, he never would have got briefed by Rockefeller at the Rockefeller Ranch. So the fact that John Podesta is pushing the issue is extremely important because it's a positive issue in terms of the swing voters. And you can actually see that when, when Hillary comes out to this Conway uh, article, this Con- Conway reporter, um, when it plays, then you see John Podesta tweets again. And he tweets, uh, Jennifer Epstein from Bloomberg, uh, I guess has contacted Hillary and Hillary assures, uh, Jennifer that her and John are, are committed to getting the aliens. And he, she uses the word aliens, not UFOs, aliens and the area 51 thing settled. And mm. John Podesta tweets that, which indicates that he's seen the poll after Hillary made the, the statement about UFOs and he likes the polling numbers and he's tweeting again. So he's, he's pushing the issue. Wow. And that's what's important to remember is that if they're pushing the issue, it's a positive issue. They, they want this out uh, because uh, I had said right from the word go that you've got to watch John because he's doing this for a reason and he's the smartest Democrat guy around. He's the, he's the smartest guy in the room. He's a very, very intelligent guy. He's the guy that started the... Um, um, the Center for American Progress, the big Democratic think tank in Washington. Uh, he's at Georgetown University, a visiting professor. He's a very, very prominent guy. He worked, you know, helped Obama pick his cabinet, worked for Obama on energy policy and stuff like that. And a very powerful guy. So when you see John Podesta pushing this thing, uh, you can see that there's actually some sort of disclosure movement taking place behind the scenes. And it confirms what I've gotten from private sources that um, the government wants this out. This is what I was told, because as, as I think I maybe discussed last time, yeah. the majority of the time I spend now is with experiencers. Yeah. You, you, can, you can look at UFO sightings, and it's interesting, and people like to hear stories about what people saw in the sky, but it really, in the end, really doesn't tell you very much about what's going on. And the same thing with the, uh, why I gave up the presidential stuff is that the, the president knows. I firmly believe the pres, all the presidents know. They know exactly what's going on. They're tied by security. They can't talk. But the president knows, but he's never going to tell you because he's under security. So it's like, almost like a waste of time. Why are we chasing this guy when nothing, we, we can't get him to talk? But the experiencers will talk. 
And what I, what I found by dealing with experiencers is that the aliens are putting an awful lot of material. 41% of all experiencers are getting downloads, mathematical downloads, scientific downloads, um, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And that's, the and, one, that's what they know about, 41% of, uh, of yeah, them know. Yeah, that, that, that remember be, this, yeah. Yeah, there could be a bunch that they're not sure, aware of it. Yeah. Sure, so the aliens are, are feeding material to the experiencers. And so the government, I maintain, doesn't know a lot about what's going on. They may know, you know, the basic stuff. Right. But when it comes to the consciousness aspect about how the craft flies, and I've done some interviews and I've got about three dozen people, how they fly the craft, and it's done with the mind. Um, so you got this consciousness aspect, which is way beyond this sort of materialistic paradigm that, you know, Newtonian physics stuff that we're still embedded in, yeah. in our science. So it's way beyond that. And so the government doesn't understand that aspect. And if you're the CIA or the NSA, you can't come up to an experience and say, you know, I'm from the CIA. We're not into UFOs, but I'd like to talk to you because I hear that you're talking to the aliens. I'd like to know what the aliens told you. So you get these stories where... Uh, they have these MILAB experiences where people are getting reabducted by black ops people and they're being given drugs and, and they're basically trying to get them to tell what the aliens told them. What are the aliens doing? Uh, what are they telling you? Uh, are you psychic? Uh, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I have one particular experiencer um, who I've known and pretty prominent guy that I've had a couple of experiences with um, actually – uh, told me, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. I saw him in the States going back maybe six months ago. And when I'm talking to him, he said, uh, I couldn't talk to you. And he starts in this hotel, starts telling me what's happening. On, happening. And he's got all these high level because he's very, very, a uh, lot of interesting stuff happening around this guy. A lot of very prominent uh, high level people are talking to him. Hmm. So he's telling me this kind of stuff. And at one point he um, shows me a picture of Barack Obama and then he shows me a, a medal. And I said, well, what's the medal? And he said, I can't tell you. All I can tell you is where it came from. And then he flips, he's on his, his iPhone, and he flips the, the picture to the next picture. And there's, there's a, a, a huge envelope from Camp David. And when I saw that, let me tell you, I was paying attention. Uh, because it means that he, he, of all the sources, he has some sort of connection. And I don't think he really has dealt with Barack Obama, but he has some sort of connection very closely into Washington. And I'm listening very carefully. And he, so he tells me now, I would put my life on the line that this guy is telling the truth. Absolutely. Now, whether he's being lied to or not is another story. But what he tells me, and he put me in contact with another guy that I know, um, who's not a government guy and he's not a researcher. He's just a high power guy in the United States who's sympathetic to our issue. And he said, he says, he wants to talk to you. And I said, he wants to talk to me. And I, I sort of talked to him in, you know, like in meetings or in a back of a room when there's a UFO thing going on. I'd never really had a one-to-one -one conversation with him. And suddenly this guy wants to talk to me. So he puts me on the cell phone and I'm at a hotel. And we're in a sort of a quad area in the middle of the hotel. And there's a bunch of people and it's like midnight. And there's a bunch of people and they're all talking at picnic tables and stuff. And I'm sort of hidden behind a bunch of trees. I'm trying to get out of the noise to listen to this guy because I realize this is an important conversation. And what he told me is the same thing the experiencer told me was that the government wants this out. And this is what I've, I've written an article on my website called The Reasons the Government Has Decided Not to Tell You the Truth. And what he told me was exactly what I have in that article is that you have a situation where the government knows a lot of stuff, but they don't know what the heck to do. They have no idea how to get this thing out. They'd like it out, but if you're the president of the United States, you're the guy that's going to go down. I mean, if, if, if this all goes south, the stock market melts down, people panic, or you know, you could have 
I say I 64 scenarios I, I have in this article of things that could go wrong. Right. And they may say to the president, this may not go wrong, Mr. President, but we don't know for sure. And if you're the president, you go, well, I don't know, I don't know if I really want to take the chance. So what I was told by both these people was that the government wants it out, but they don't want the government fingerprints on it. And so they're going to this experiencer to get him to carry the message. And in my first, in my second book, I, I wrote the book on UFOs, Area 51, and government informants. And in that book, that was, that was the, the theory of the book that I put in there as well, is that the government is actually leaking material to us. They're giving it to us. And the way they do it is you take a, a legitimate piece of material like Area 51, you put in a guy like Bob Lazar to go in there who has a bad background. You know he, has, he doesn't have degrees he's claiming. You put him in there. You let him see a bunch of stuff. You let him read a bunch of documents you've made up and stuff like that. And you know he's going to go out and talk to John Lear, which is exactly what happened. He's friends with John Lear. He goes out and everybody figures, well, John Lear is going to tell the story. Nobody believes John Lear. John Lear is a great guy. Nobody's going to believe John Lear. And so uh, people will say, ah, it's John Lear. It's just a, he's making up stuff. They got crafts at Area 51 and a live alien and stuff. Yeah, that's not true. But the story gets out and the story circulates around. And that's what they wanted to do. And they didn't realize that George Knapp would interview Bob Lazar and that this thing would go viral around the world. And suddenly you'd have TV crews from all around the world trying to get up into the, the mountains and watch the, the, the Groom Lake and what's going on. Yeah. And the thing got out of control. So this is basically the scenario that I uh, hold to now. The government knows a lot of stuff about the fact they're here and, and this sort of stuff. But the aliens are running the show. And the government is trying to figure some way to do it without blowing things up. They're, they're trying to get the thing out. And um, John Podesta may be part of that initiative. Because if you remember back in February, John Podesta puts out this tweet. He goes to the Obama White House back. He, he, he helps Obama set up the cabinet. Then he goes back to uh, Georgetown University into the uh, the think tank, and in um, December of 2013 he goes back to the White House again to work on energy policy for Barack Obama. Mm. So he's in the White House for another year, and the day he resigns in February of 2015, he puts out this famous tweet, and he said, uh, "Once again, the, the biggest disappointment yeah. of 2014 was the fact that I was still unable to get UFO disclosure, yeah. which indicates to me this is he's, he wants this out. This is a very important tweet. It's the same old thing. He's you know he's going to run the Hillary Clinton campaign. He could blow up the whole campaign by saying something stupid. So he knows what he's doing. He's a very smart guy. So he puts out this tweet, and basically he's saying that he knows that this issue is being watched." And he's basically putting it on the record that I talked to Barack Obama. The thing is still tied up. We tried to get it out. And I'm just letting you know, in 2014, I tried to, to, to put the files out. And for whatever reason, they're under security or classification or whatever. They can't get them out. Because at one time, Barack said almost the same thing Hillary said. He said to the Washington Post, he said, I know people are going to file Freedom Information Act requests on me. And that's me doing that. I file, you know... John Podesta and Bill Clinton, John Podesta and Hillary Clinton, John Podesta and UFOs, and I'm filing for all John Podesta's stuff that might link into UFOs. John Podesta in Area 51 because he actually phoned Area 51 when he was in the, in the White House. So I'm doing all these FOAs. So John knows this. He knows that I and other people are filing these FOAs. So he's basically saying, I'm putting this on the record for the people who are going to record history that I tried in 2014 to get this stuff out. Yeah. And now he's pushing again through Hillary and, uh, and now has got this thing open, and it's actually a much bigger story. I, I've never, t I haven't talked about this because this is a breaking story. This, is, this happened today. It happened two days ago, and I haven't talked about this. 
talked about it a little bit with Linda, but this, what happened today I haven't talked about is that what's happened is we actually have almost like we have the, a guy deep inside the Kremlin on the other side. We've always had a problem in getting a question to a high-level official because you can't, I can't walk up to Podesta and talk to him or Hillary and whatever. Yeah, but, and the press institutes are not going to ask those questions. Yeah, but we, do, we now have somebody who will. And he's in the perfect place. He's in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is the state that everybody wants to win. They are there. Some of them are there for a year. And they're running around to different things. And they're trying. Because you want to win New Hampshire, the first state. Because you win New Hampshire and you've got the momentum. And it's the old thing that everybody wants to vote for the winner. So if you win New Hampshire, you can win the whole thing. So all of them are running around. And there's not many people in New Hampshire. There's only a couple little towns. And this Conway uh, Daily Sun newspaper... What I was told by uh, Damon was that all of the candidates, Republican and Democrat, come to the office at least one time for a meeting with the, the, the editors and the, and the reporters, and they get to ask them whatever questions they want. Now, this is absolutely unheard of, where you can actually get into a, a situation where uh, you're going to see every single campaign, you're gonna, you're, and, and in New Hampshire, you can't be the idiot. You can't be, uh, I'm not going to answer that question or, uh, you know, right. stuff like that. Because you, in New Hampshire, you want to look like you're the nice guy, uh, you're, you're friends with everybody, and it's all town halls. They're taking town halls. It's not like orchestrated, uh, you know, press meetings where you're requesting the questions from the people you know that you're going to ask the right questions. They're basically taking questions from the floor. So we have a reporter in this small town newspaper in New Hampshire where everybody goes every four years and this guy is down the rabbit hole with the rest of us on, on UFOs. He suddenly become very sort of famous and his editor actually said, we like this. Of course, I guess it went <laughs> viral around the world. They said, we'd like more. So he talked to Kasich or Kasich or whatever, the uh, Republican guy, they talked to Kasich and Kasich said, I don't believe in UFOs. And then, and then this morning, he talked to Cruz. And Cruz, uh, he showed him the Hillary Clinton document that I recovered from the, the Clinton White House, the one that indicates that Hillary Clinton was helping edit a letter on UFO disclosure to the president. And he showed it to Cruz and Cruz said he'd never seen the letter before. He, he seemed a little stunned by looking at this letter that Hillary had been involved in this UFO disclosure. And he actually said uh, at one point that, um, it, well, he, he's sort of in a box, but he says, I might, I might um, reinvestigate Roswell, or no, Area 51 if I get elected. But I'm sure he's, he's probably not going to do that. He's just saying that. But here you have this thing where uh, Trump is going in there. Sanders is going in there. They're all going in there, and they're all going to get asked. So we, uh, the story is not over yet. I keep telling people I, I can't really say too much because it's not my story. Yeah, yeah. It's Damon Steer's story, uh, and I don't want to ruin it for him. But, uh, but you're basically, a part of it. I mean, uh, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we, you have these people held hostage. I mean, they have no choice but to answer the UFO question. And so every four years, this reporter is in a position where – we get to ask the UFO question every four years now. And we've got the guy, it's almost like I said, it's like having somebody deep inside the Kremlin who's working for you. Yeah, it's funny how Podesta sticks around, you know, through the decades, through a couple presidents, and then he's a, he's like an advisor to Obama, and it's just like, and he's talking about UFOs. You know, if they had a problem with that, they would have shipped him out. Or, you know, if they thought he was a little crazy, they wouldn't be trusting him. Yeah, so. but why isn't it getting, like, the mainstream hold, the mainstream media? Like, there's a list of, to them the it's, media I, I don't think it's talked about this, I don't but think it's, it's not there. Purpose. 
Well, the mainstream, the mainstream is picking it up. So that, Steve you know Bassett I mean? tells me there may be a mainstream guy jumping in within the next day or two. Wow. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's going to be a, but, a pretty big But if you look at, for, for example, you see what happens. A lot of this stuff happens where the, the, the public doesn't pick it up, where I pick it up. And, and one of them we didn't, I couldn't figure out. And that was in the Podesta tweet from February. If you look, he says the biggest disappointment in 2014 was I couldn't yeah. get UFO disclosure. And then he copies... On the tweet, he copies Marine Dowd. Now, Marie Dowd is not a big Clinton supporter. She's a New York Times, top New York Times reporter, high profile. And Steve Bassett pointed out to me, and I said, well, why would he copy Marine Dowd? Like, he's not a dumb guy. He's doing this for a reason. I didn't find out till a week ago. So I'm doing Marie Dowd and John Podesta, Marie Dowd, UFO, and suddenly it pops up. She writes an article in 1997, and this is like this is new. Nobody knows this. She wrote this article in 1997, and this was, <clears throat> if you remember back to the Clinton administration, I maintain that the reason that Roswell was reinvestigated was because John, uh, the, uh, uh, Lawrence Rockefeller demanded it, and the president greenlighted the U.S. Air Force to go back and reinvestigate Roswell. The first report said it's just a mogul balloon. There's nothing to this. Bill Clinton goes to Belfast, Northern Ireland. He makes this famous speech in November of 1995. He said, Ryan, if you're out in the audience tonight, here's the answer to your question, your letter. No, as far as I know, a UFO did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. But if the U.S. Air Force did recover bodies, they didn't tell me about it either, and I want to know. And then uh, he said that because he'd read the final report and he was upset, and the final report said, didn't talk about the bodies. It talked about the Mogul Bloom, but it didn't talk about these four-foot aliens that everybody's seeing. So in 1997, the U.S. Air Force has to go and reinvestigate Roswell for a second time. It's not that they've got nothing better to do or they want to go reinvestigate UFOs again. It's because the president has demanded that they go and investigate. Now they got to go and answer to the president the question, what about the alien bodies? So they come back in 1997 and they put out this report about the dropping these six-foot-tall wooden dummies with Air Force uniforms and giant parachutes and a big... Uh, uh, a placard on them that will give you $25 if you hand this uh, dummy back in. And uh, they put out this thing that, well, they dropped these dummies and the legs broke off and some of the fingers broke off. So it was four foot tall aliens. And so Marie Dowd in 1997 writes an article. You can look it up. It's called We're Not Alone. And it's a scathing article about how stupid do you think we are? This actually proves that the alien thing is for real, that we are not alone, that this is for real. And this stupid Air Force story is proving that we're not alone and that, and that this whole thing's a cover-up. So that's why he copies Marie Dowd, because she writes this very positive article in 1997 on UFOs. So you, when you watch John Podesta, you got to find out, you go, I always watch who he tweets uh, and, and what, he's, what he's putting in there. Everything means something. And he's very carefully uh, uh, almost manipulating this thing. So I have some some uh, positive feelings that this actually has some we, uh, some momentum and uh, we may actually go somewhere this time. We're, we're going to have at least all the, the different people um, being asked a question. And uh, I don't know if you know the story, if you saw it on my Facebook site. I sent it to Damon and he didn't reply. So I don't know whether he really got the message. But if you... Uh, Sanders, who's winning, and I was told by uh, Damon Steer that unless Sanders kills a puppy on national TV, he's going to win New Hampshire. He's going to wipe out Hillary. So he's the leading guy. And if you look, there's an article that was written on um, by a newspaper in Vermont, where he's from. He's the senator in, in Vermont, that in the state capitol, 
They have a picture on the wall, a painting. Have you heard this story? No, no. They have this painting on the wall in the state capitol. A, for, a former governor of Vermont is in this photograph. And it's, he was a governor from 1910 or 15 or something, like way back there. And then there's a window. And in the window, there's a crashed flying saucer in the, in the yard. It crashed into this hill in this painting. And, of course, they're, they're going, you know, uh, what the heck is going on? What the heck is this painting doing in the state capitol? So I said to Damon Steer, I said, well, here's your opening on, yeah, on, on, on Sanders to get him to talk about UFOs is, okay, this painting is in the, the, the Vermont state capitol. Why is it there? And what do you think about UFOs to, to get him to open up? And when he talks or when Trump is asked a UFO question, you, you may get New York Times, Washington Post, everybody jumping in because it's not crazy Hillary talking about it yeah, anymore. Yeah, they can't, you they got can't Donald stay Trump. away from Trump. Yeah. So, so you're, you're going to see some major coverage, I think, coming out of this. And there's no way they can avoid it. They all have to go to this office. And these they haven't been there yet. And I don't know when they're coming. But uh, this guy's got all these people hostage. They have to come in and they have to be nice and they have to answer the questions. And uh, he's given been given authorization by his editorial board. Yes, you can ask the UFO question, which is a big change. It's like I said to Steve Bassett, for the first time since 1947, we are on the front page of the newspaper. We have not been since 1947 when the wow. government started put, put this thing down. It's been the toxic issue. It's been in, you know, page 63 or, you know, some stupid article. It's never been on the front page. We're almost like back on the front page again. So uh, this, is, this is an important story. People have to realize. Is there anything people can do to help that? With, like when Trump goes to that meeting, is it going to be publicized about when he'll be there? Like, or will that just sort of... Well, it's more of a private meeting with the board at the newspaper. And the question will be asked. I guess it would be um, when the story breaks, and it'll be on my Facebook site, um, is to go to, the, go to the, um, the newspaper and put in a comment on the, on the article. Because Damon Steer is the, the political guy at the newspaper. Oh, and yeah, he's okay. writing various articles. on. And the last couple he's written, like, for example, he talked to, to Kasich. And Kasich said, I don't believe in UFOs. <laughs> And he didn't put that in his article. He just right. wrote about Kasich, uh, um, what his stand was on different stuff with the interview they did and didn't put that in there. And today with, with Cruz, whether he'll put that in Cruz's article tomorrow or whatever. But if you go to the, uh, the, um, the Conway Daily Sun and go to their daily news, you can watch Damon Steer as he files these articles. Yeah, that's a good and, idea. Uh, and he said, you know, I really don't want to be famous. He said all sorts of offers from, uh, we tried to get him set up on coast to coast and stuff like that. And he said, well, you know, I really, I really don't want to be famous. I just want to, you know, feed my family and stuff like that. And I didn't realize it was going to get this big or whatever. Uh, but, but he's gotten the authorization to do it. And he said, you know, if my wife's, if my girlfriend's in the shower, I'll, I'll watch Ancient Aliens. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> he's sort of like, he's kind of interested in it. But, you know, he's not, it's not, he's not obsessed, but he's sort of now with the rest of us. It's suddenly he's been dragged down the rabbit hole and suddenly he's in the middle of this thing and uh, everybody's contacting him and everybody wants interviews and, and uh, he's uh, got, he realizes he's got this opportunity. And it's not just this year. I mean, four years from now, Damon Steer will still be in New Hampshire and they're all going to have to start in New Hampshire and go to the office again. And we can go through this process every four years. And that's what I say about disclosure. People are waiting for the government to disclose. And I say that's not how it works. It is not the government that it, no political issue, whether you talk about African, uh, African-American civil rights, women's right to vote, uh, the gay rights uh, issue, 
uh, the end of the war in Vietnam. It was not some politician who said, I think we should end the war in Vietnam. It was quarter million people on the Washington Mall. Yeah. It was everybody. It was news articles, everybody talking. And Steve Bass, not Steve, um, Stephen Greer was at one point went and talked to everybody on the Hill. So did um, uh, James Fox with his movie yeah. and went gave it. And he talked to all these people and they were basically told the same thing. And that is we're on your side, but we can't do anything. You have to provide us some political cover. Unless this thing is worth some votes, unless I can stand up and say this is this is an this is what uh, the people want. This is what the people want. I can't do it. And when what one of them told, I think it was Stephen Greer, was you get the parade going, and as soon as the parade is going, we will lead the parade. But it's it's the old deal. Is if you've got like fifteen people protesting outside the the, um, the White House, you if you're inside the White House, you got to look. Okay, I can win seventeen votes, but I could lose seventeen million votes. There, it's all about election. It's all about getting elected. It's not about them doing something to um, to save the people or whatever. Everything is polled. You have to realize that's why this is important that Hillary's talked about this. Everything. I mean, yeah, whether yeah. they go to the bathroom, yeah, they, they don't do, they don't write anything down without yeah. knowing. So, so they know what to talk about, what not to talk about. This issue is not going to help us. Uh, you know, what are people interested in? And then you try to align your campaign with what people are interested in and that because you're trying to win their vote. And when we get there, then we'll try to do what we can. But right. we have, up front, we have to make it look like we're on, on every side. So you really care what they say. And you have, always have to keep in, in mind that it's about votes. It's not about doing the right thing. That, that you, Unless you get into the White House, it really doesn't matter what you believe. You have to get there before you can actually do something. Right, right. So what, what about if we go a little deeper back into the to puppet masters? Because you were talking about, you know, like don't pay attention to Hillary as much as Podesta type thing. Like he's the one pulling the yeah. strings as far as that goes. But what about, like I have a hard time reconciling in my own head what you mean by government, right? Because it seems to me like it's deeper <coughs> than the campaign. It's deeper than the, the White House. Like is, is it because... The government is sort of losing some control over the private sector who has some of this technology as well. Like, there's got to be sort of a, a, no, a conflict um, at the top. Like, what? I why always is, thought they were saving it for the big distraction, you know, when something like when happens. When it's going so the, bad that that's when like something to pull happens, out. right? When you're about to get something's about to no, I, it's I, like, okay, I, here's some UFOs. Okay, we were, <laughs> we were lying. You got us. Yeah, but the, the, there's so many things that could go wrong with that scenario. That's the one, that's the one card they really don't want to play is because, I, you know, you get the situation where you got to realize that as soon as this thing breaks, I mean, like Stanton has said this, oh, you just say UFOs exist and we're not going to talk about the rest. It ain't going to happen. As soon as you say it, there's going to be like 3,000 reporters and trucks and, you know, cameras and satellite dishes on the, on the outside the White House. And there's going to be these massive press conferences. And, and within five questions, somebody's going to say, Mr. President, it's been rumored that millions of people have been abducted by these evil aliens. You're constitutionally responsible for the protection of the American people. What are you doing to stop this? And the president, I guarantee you, has no idea because the aliens are running the show. He doesn't know how to stop it. He doesn't know how to stop the cattle mutilations. And those kind of questions, if the, you've got the president, the president is the guy that's running the show. He knows all the answers. He's got everything under control. And that's the whole spin that they put on, on how this works is the president is in charge and he, he's got it all under control. You never want to put the president out in front of a news conference where he's going, well, uh, well, uh, well we really don't know uh, well, because it all spirals down. And then you get situations where if the stock market starts to melt down, 
that you haven't got this thing under control and people start, all you need is 2% of people to start selling. You don't need everybody. You need 2% of people to start selling and it gets going. And how do you reopen the stock market? If you have to shut the stock market, you have to reassure the people that you've got it under control and they don't. And that's the whole point is they really don't have it under control. So they're in this dilemma that they wanted out. And I say that the president knows a lot of people figure it's the private industry that's running yeah, yeah, that's it. And they, may, and they may have the, the technology stuff. But I, and, and I, at one point, I believe the president didn't know because of, yeah, statement Bill thought, Clinton, yeah. because of what Bill Clinton had said. Yeah. Bill Clinton made this statement to Sarah McClendon, according to Stephen Greer. She said, why don't you do what these people are saying? Why don't you disclose UFOs? And, he, and according to Stephen Greer, uh, president leaned over to Sarah McClendon and said, Sarah, there's a government inside the government and I don't control it. The problem is that was said by Bill Clinton, who's a pathological liar. He's, a, he's a, again, a very smart guy, but he thinks he can sort of talk his way out of anything. And I believe that this whole scenario about the president doesn't know is just something that they use to stop people from asking the president the UFO question. As long as it's uh, assumed, you know, the, the, the statement is there's no national security implications. It's, it's a crazy issue. We don't really deal with this issue. You can't have the president knowing about UFOs and then saying that the government's not interested in UFOs. So what they do is they, it's a plausible deniability. I say that the president has to know. And the example uh, that I use when I lecture is if you look back at 2009, when the 9-11 thing happened, uh, George Bush decided that they were going to tap American phones and they were going to try to pick up the conversations of terrorists in the United States. So he turns the satellites in on the American people and he starts tapping. And this is illegal. What happens is, and people don't know the story, what happens is the attorney general resigns. The FBI director resigns. A dozen people in the Justice Department resign. They pack it in. They say, this is illegal. We don't care if it's the president. We ain't going along with this. The, and then this attorney general gets very, very sick, and he's in the hospital. And George Bush sends one of his guys to the hospital to talk to the attorney general and say, the president needs you on his side. You need to sign this paper. And the attorney general tells Bush's guy, basically, I'm no longer the attorney general. Get the hell out of here. And so you have this situation where if you have high level, if you have the president, you got to realize the president is a very egotistical guy, whether it's Jimmy Carter or any oh, of these people. Have to be, yeah. you, you don't get there without having thick skin. There's no way that the president is going to, the pre, and all the, you got to, not just the president, but you have the entire cabinet. You would have over the, there's been 13 um, administrations. There's been seven Democratic administrations. There's been six Republican administrations who have dealt with this issue and everybody has done exactly the same thing, which means that they inside believe that what they're doing is legal because if they, somebody believed it was illegal as what happened with the nine 11 thing, somebody would take a walk, somebody would resign and the thing would explode. But everybody believes it's legal. They're all, they're all buying into it. Everybody's doing the same thing. And so you, you take a look because if, if you look at the situation, the president has to be running the show. There is no way, I, if I was in the cabinet, I would walk. Because if you're dealing with foreign power, if you're dealing with aliens, which is a foreign government, the only person that negotiate can negotiate in the United States with a foreign power, sign a treaty, negotiate with a foreign power, is the president of the United States. It is the, the head of state, which is the president. You can't have a GS-13 negotiating with the Chinese or the Russians or the aliens or making treaties. It has to be the president. So if somebody suddenly realized that you, we're dealing with the aliens and the president isn't in the loop, 
somebody's going to resign. It doesn't happen, which means that the president must be in the loop. He must, everybody must believe that he's in charge, that he's dealing with this alien situation. The other thing is he's the chief executive officer. If there's some aspect of the government, some agency inside the government that's that's covering this thing up, they all report to him. He's the chief executive officer. All the material is floating up to him. So it's kind of it's crazy to think that there's some agency that sort of works for themselves, funds themselves, and that it's not going up. That the president doesn't have control over that. And if somebody in that in that part of the government were to realize that we aren't responsible to the president, that we're uh, breaking the law and we're not reporting to the president, they would res- they somebody would resign. This thing would explode. The same as the president is the is the civilian commander of the U.S. military. He runs the U.S. military. He's a civilian commander. And military people are people who salute. They're, they're people who are very patriotic. They're not going to, uh, you know, break ranks. They do what they're told, and they're reporting to the president. And the most important one is there's 17 intelligence agencies in the United States. Say the CIA. Take the CIA for an example. The CIA does not work for the CIA. The CIA, according to Chase Brandon who came forward with the story that Roswell was real. He was the, uh, the, liaison, the liaison to Hollywood, the second most powerful person in the CIA to speak publicly on behalf of the CIA, other than the director, was Chase Brandon. He came forward after the CIA had edited his book eight times, which means they basically helped him write the book, and comes out and says Roswell's real. And he said the, eight, the, the CIA and the intelligence agencies work for the people at 60,000 feet. And people always forget that. The only reason the CIA exists is to provide intelligence to the president of the United States. That's their only role. That's the only thing they do. And to the, the head of intelligence for the Senate and the, and the House. Otherwise, they have no role. All the intelligence agencies, all the material flows up to the president. The president is, is on top of that. So the idea that some intelligence agency is sort of working on their own and has a sort of a secret government and is providing material to some other agency is totally crazy. And the, and the final thing is that if the president and all the people, uh, if there's sort of like a secret government or the military or some uh, uh, defense agency that or company that's running the whole thing, there's no way you're going to go in when the president comes in and he picks his cabinet and then some guy comes in to make the speech and says, okay, um, just want to let you know, Mr. President and all your cabinet ministers here, uh, David Rockefeller and a couple people from Europe are running the country <laughs> and uh, you really don't have any power, but we need you to look busy. It's not happening. The president, let me absolutely assure you, the, the president is in charge and, he, and it's just that he can't talk about it. What, what about all the... <laughs> The people that run the unacknowledged special access programs, oh, yeah. like all the black uh, budgets, like don't sure. I mean, don't they have some power that? Uh... Oh, they they have the the security clearance thing. But if the president needs a security clearance on this issue, for example, the funding, like he does policy. So if the policy is to uh, move the space program in this direction or this direction, the policy has to come from the president. Right. So he has the, but he's it's like everything else in the president. If people saw the presidential schedule, the president really doesn't do anything in terms of um, his own research. He's basically being directed by all the people below him. Okay, Mr. President, you got to take a picture here. You got to make this phone call. Uh, we got this meeting here and you got 15 minutes of the Secretary of Defense and, and, and he's being advised. So if an issue comes up, if say the UFO thing suddenly explodes, the Secretary of Defense or the CIA director will go in and we'll, we'll, we'll brief him on that subject. So there is that idea that there are classified aspects of yeah. the program 
that he isn't read into. But right. if he needed to be read into, the same as in, in any other agency, he doesn't really know, uh, you know, what the Justice Department is doing at the lower levels and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. That's all being done by lower level people. And he's trusting the people below right, him. Right. So there is that classified aspect. But I'll give you an example that if you look at the citizens hearing, uh, you look at <clears throat> the testimony of um, Jesse Marcel Jr., now, that was a story that I wanted to tell. I contacted Jesse Marcel Jr. through the guy who runs his uh, library in Montana. And I said, I'd like to tell this story that Jesse Marcel told. And uh, the guy said, well, I'll talk to Jesse. And then he didn't get back to me. And I thought, okay, whatever. So I get there and suddenly there's Jesse telling the story. So he went and told the story. And here's the story that Jesse tells. Now, if you think that the president doesn't know what's going on, listen to the story. Jesse says he is contacted by a game by the name of Dick D'Amato. Now, Dick D'Amato works for the NSA, and he also was hired as a legal advisor to the Senate Appropriations Committee. Now, the Appropriations Committee, the Senate, is lower than the president. They would have a lot less access to material. The Senate Appropriations Committee is the one that hands out the money. They, they appropriate the money from the budget. So in 1989, when the Area 51 story broke, when Bob Lazar, the story broke through KLS-TV in, in Las Vegas— yeah. The story was viral around the world, and it was like the Americans got these crash flying saucers, and they're back engineering flying saucers. And 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 Senator Byrd, who ran the Senate Appropriations Committee, was very interested in UFOs. He was one of the guys who was dealing with Stephen Greer and talking to people and behind the scenes and saying we need cover and all this kind of stuff. So Byrd looks at his uh, his people on the committee and he says to them, "Are we financing flying saucers at Area 51?" And they go, well, "I don't know." And he says, "Well, if we're financing flying saucers," We don't know about it, and we're the ones that are putting up the money. So they hire Dick D'Amato, his lawyer, and they give him, as Dick D'Amato describes, every security clearance he needs. He has whatever security clearance he wants. He goes and he starts talking to everybody and talks to Stanton Freeman. He talks to Timothy Good. He talks to Bob Lazar. He talks to Don Lear. He talks to Nap, to, to Nap. He talks to all the people in Las Vegas that were involved in the Area 51 story. He gets on the base. He actually talks to a high-level guy at Area 51, a story that I really can't go into because I got in a lot of trouble by telling it at, at Citizens Hearing. But he, he talks to a very high-level guy, and that guy refuses to talk. And he basically says, I have these security clearances. I can clear you of any oath you ever gave on any security clearance. I have unlimited security clearance uh, on this issue. So here's a guy who's a lawyer for the Senate Appropriations Committee who basically says, if I need the clearance, I can go into Area 51. I can look at whatever I want. And he's got authorization. So he goes in there. He comes out and he talks to Jesse Marcel. And he says, Jesse, I'd like to talk to you about Roswell. And Jesse says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll talk to you, whatever. And he says, would you like to talk in a secure room? And Jesse says, well, I, I've really said everything I'm going to say about Roswell. I mean, I, we don't need a secure room. I just, I'm not going to tell you anything new that I haven't told you before. And he said, well, Jesse, maybe I want to tell you something. So Jesse says, okay. So they go to a sub-basement in the, in the, in the, uh, state ca- in the, in the capital. This is important because I, I tell a story um, uh, about... 1948, two women in Ohio who are told by their father, who's a cousin to uh, Cordell Hull, who was the Secretary of State under Roosevelt. And they were told the story that their father was shown bodies and a craft in the sub-basement of the Capitol building. And so it's exactly the same place where they take Jesse Marcel. Jesse Marcel goes down to the sub-basement and he says it's a secure, they go through all these secure doors and all this sort of very high secure area. 
And it's a big, huge conference room. And he said, the founding fathers are on the wall. There's this big, long boardroom table. And he sits down at the end of the table and, and uh, D'Amato sits right beside him. And the book, Majestic, written by Whitley Strieber, is on the table. And this book deals with two things. It deals with MJ-12, the control group, and based on what he'd learned about MJ-12 and talks about Roswald and the connection between MJ-12 and Roswald. And so he said, okay, Jesse, I just want to let you know. And he puts his finger and he taps the book. He says, I just want to let you know that this is for real. And he's referring, he's pointing to the book, Majestic Book. This is for real. And Jesse says, well, I know it's for real. I know it's for real. So when are you going to tell the people? And D'Amato, here's a, a lawyer for the Senate Appropriations Committee, not the president, some low-level lawyer who says... Well, if it were up to me, I would have done it yesterday, but it's not up to me. I'm just here to determine for the Senate Appropriations Committee how much the security for this program is costing. I want to let you know, Jesse, there's a, there's a dark element of government that has unlimited control and unlimited amounts of money, and they can do what they want. And so he's basically confirming that he's going along with it. And that's what I say. You have 13 administrations have dealt with this, presidents, high-level cabinet ministers, CIA directors, and they've all played the game. They all know what's going on. But like just like Dick D'Amato, they say, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm sworn to secrecy. All I'm doing is I'm doing my job. And everybody goes along with it, believing it's illegal, believing it's legal, because everybody believes they're the good guy. Everybody believes they're saving the world. So when I asked Dick Cheney, I said, Mr. Cheney, in all your jobs in government, have you ever been briefed on the subject of flying saucers, UFOs? If so, when was it and what you were told? Cheney says, if I'd been briefed on the subject, it would probably be classified and I wouldn't be talking about it. And that's how it works. Everybody salutes. Everybody's patriotic. Nobody, like people say to me, why doesn't the president write it out and put it in an envelope and when he dies, release it? And I said, because it's unpatriotic. It's treason. The yeah, president right. is the last guy. The president, because people they think don't realize. it's a security risk as well, right? Yeah. The president, every day, people don't realize. They say, well, he should release the UFO thing. He doesn't release anything on anything. The president every morning gets a 45-minute top-secret briefing on all the stuff they're doing. We killed this guy, and we did this, and we did that. All this stuff, he doesn't talk about any of it. 45 minutes worth every day of his administration, Saturdays, Sundays, all this kind of stuff. All this top-secret stuff, he doesn't tell anything about anything. Because what happens is when you come in... They give you what's called the intelligence briefing, and it happens in November. So this November, they win the election, say November 4th or whenever it is. By the middle of the month, they will give what's called the intelligence briefing. So they bring you in the room. So, so Graham, I bring you in. Okay, you're going to be the president. They don't say to you, okay, here's what we did. We killed this guy. We overthrew this government. We've got UFOs. We we're a back engineering. We're going to stars. We're, you know, whatever. And okay, now you... Would you sign the, the the security agreement? No. They say, Mr. President, this is a top secret intelligence briefing, code name, blah, blah, blah. And they give you all the code names or whatever. You sign the papers before the briefing starts. So when they tell you everything, you're already signed to, you sworn to secrecy. And and the, the, the president doesn't want to be the guy who's going to uh, violate the security oath. They all play the game because they're all patriotic. And that's why I always have trouble. I've never had anybody that came to me that threatened me or came to me and said, I'm, I, I know what's going on and I'm going to violate my security oath to tell you uh, what's going on. And I'm going to tell you exactly what the, what the thing is. Because the first thing I would ask the guy, it's because it doesn't make any sense. The first thing you'd ask the guy is, are you a patriotic American? And the guy would say, yeah, I'm a patriotic American. Okay, and you swore an oath to the United States of America that you would keep the secret. And yeah, yeah. So if you lied to your own government, why should I believe anything you're going to tell me? 
And that's always the problem I have with these deep throat people who are coming forward is they're violating their security oath. And and why would you believe these people who can't even, uh, you know, keep an oath to their own country? Because most Americans are patriotic and they will salute and do exactly what they're told because it's it, it's it's part of, like in Canada, it might be different. I mean, we, do, we don't even know if we have a constitution. Who cares? I mean, we, we don't really care too much about politics or anything. But in the United States, everybody knows the First Amendment's uh, right to free speech. Everybody knows they got a Second Amendment right to carry a gun. And everybody knows the constitution. They're all into this constitutional type stuff. And everybody's really playing the game. And especially when you get to a high level where you've gone through politics and, you, and you've done all that kind of stuff, when you get to the high levels, you're really into this stuff. You know how it all works. And so you, you start looking at what people are doing. And that's why what John Podesta is doing is very important because he's doing what he can. Uh, who, basically who's, playing the- who's behind Podesta or is Podesta doing this for his own? Do you, like just to speculate, to totally... Well, well he, he's like, I know there's no evidence, but is it, is it his own personal interest, do you think, or his, oh, yeah. his, yeah. his he, knowing that he has the power to maybe make a change, or is there somebody else pushing no. him from behind? No, it's, it's basically a Podesta thing. He, as, you, as I said, he is the power guy in the Democratic Party. I don't think there's any more, anybody more powerful in the Democratic Party than Podesta. He runs the major think tank. Uh, he's, the, at this point, the, 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 the smart guy in the room. And what if, for whatever reason, he's obsessed with the subject. I mean, when he, I wrote an article when he was already still in the White House about this obsession he has with, with uh, um, uh, X-Files. So X-Files is playing in a couple of days. And watch John Podesta's tweet page. He's going to do something when it comes to X-Files Day. He's going to make some sort of tweet because uh, he's absolutely obsessed. And he talked about in the White House that he would actually, didn't matter what was going on in the White House, he went home and he watched X-Files. The latest episode, and he was interested. And he wanted to know what was going on, and he actually states that at one point he got on the phone and he phoned Area Fifty One to find out whether they had a live alien. He's, he's whatever. He's had a sighting. I don't know what's happened, but he's obsessed with the subject. But what's more important, as I said, he's a Madison guy. James Madison was the president who was into this thing about uh, if you if you go that to the Library of Congress, one of their buildings is the Madison Building, and on the on the outdoor outside the wall above the door, they have all this uh, stuff carved into the wall, Madison expressions. And Madison was big into this thing that you cannot govern the people. The people cannot be governed unless they know what's going on. And John Podesta seriously, honestly believes in open government, same as Jimmy Carter. He makes the same quote that Jimmy Carter uses. Uh, sunshine is the best, the best disinfectant. That if you put it out into the open, that's the best way to get the truth and to, to, to get to the bottom of something. That what, Let the chips fall where they may. So, uh, John, a lot of politicians are going to say, uh, well, we want to do it secrecy because we need to stay in power. We need this, whatever. John says, no, no, not staying in power is number one. Number one thing is telling the truth and giving the people the information. So he's obsessed with open government. And as I said, he's the guy that helped Bill Clinton do this 1995 executive order that said, if you have a top secret document that's over 25 years old, it's getting declassified. I don't care what your excuse is. It has to be a really good excuse. Otherwise, it's being declassified. And there was 800 million pages of documents declassified in the second term of the, of the, of the Clinton administration because of John Podesta. He wants this out. And what they want, what they, I think they were trying to do in 1995 is they figured if they forced all these 25-year-old documents and above out, all the UFO stuff would come out. And it didn't happen. Right. So that's the way you, you get the president works behind the scenes. You'll say, well, the president isn't doing anything on UFOs. You don't realize. Like, people don't realize that Bill Clinton was behind the, the Roswell 
uh, investigation. That was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was behind this executive order that forced out all these documents, trying to get the UFO documents out. People don't realize that Jimmy Carter, people say, oh, Jimmy Carter got in and he didn't do anything. They don't realize that the vast majority of FOIA material that we've got, all the CIA stuff, all the FBI stuff, all the Navy intelligence files, uh, a lot of those files came out, uh, the CIA files came out under the Carter administration. And there's a story told by Kit Green, who was, he ran the weird desk at the CIA. And the the CIA, the weird desk is where they run the paranormal, the remote viewing, the UFO, all the weird stuff. They call it the weird desk. Like and the Kit, X-Files guy. Yeah, and he's like the X-Files guy. Kit Green was running it at the and in the, the time when Jimmy Carter was in the White House. And Kit, Kit Green talked about the fact that <clears throat> he talked to a number of presidents about UFOs. And the rumored story is that he's the guy that briefs the, the, the president on UFOs when it comes to this intelligence briefing. So he talked about the fact that when Jimmy Carter, when the FOIA came to the CIA, Jimmy Carter was putting pressure on the CIA to legally produce the UFO documents for this FOIA. And of course, the CIA, they're trying to hide the documents and they're they're playing all these games. And Kit Green tells a story about a girl who was in charge of this thing for the lawyers. And they're, of course, playing all these games and frustrating her. And he said at one point she actually broke down crying. She, she was just so frustrated by these games they were playing that she was under this pressure. And the pressure was coming from the White House. It was coming from Jimmy Carter hmm. that I want these documents out. Most people don't realize that he took his press secretary. Jody Powell was his press secretary. And he sent him to the FBI. Now, he's not doing it directly because it's the old deal. I'm, I'm the president. I can't say I'm in, into UFOs. But you do it through the back door. So he takes... Jody Powell, it's the same thing. It's, it's releasing it without your fingerprints on it. So he takes Jody Powell and he sends him to the FBI. And Jody Powell puts pressure on the FBI to produce their FBI UFO documents, which they did, and to explain how do you handle a UFO situation? How is it done? Are you investigating UFOs? It's not the president. It's, it's somebody else so that the president has this plausible deniability. He also sends Frank Press, who is his science advisor, to NASA. And people don't realize this. Frank Press went to NASA during the Carter administration and requested they start another blue book, that they start it all over again, start reinvestigating UFOs. The NASA got this famous email, not email, it was a, like a memo from a CIA person that said, don't do it. Stay out of this. Don't get involved. So NASA realized that this... I mean, it's the old thing. The president's not going to go down. Now we're the ones that are going to go down if we get into this. You know, it's it's a no-win situation to investigate UFOs publicly because if you if you're going to say there's nothing to it, every day you got to put some some officer out to explain something as a weather balloon or whatever and look totally stupid and, and don't want to you know play that game. So what happened was. Carter had cut the NASA budget by $5 billion or something. So what NASA said was our budget's been cut. We haven't got the money to do another Blue Book study. If you have crushed material, if you have hard evidence, material, uh, metal and stuff, we'll investigate that. And that's how they got out of it. But people don't realize Jimmy Carter was putting pressure on various organizations inside the government to produce the UFO stuff. And the f- famous story is told, and this is another one where people get the impression that the president doesn't know. This yeah, story yeah, is told, yeah. this, this is a story about George Bush, where he gets the intelligence briefing. In November, the year he's elected, 1976, he's in November, he's given the briefing, and the briefing is done by the former CIA director. So George Bush was the CIA director under, under Ford. So Ford is giving him the briefing. And Jimmy Carter asks for the UFO files. Now this story is coming through Danny Sheehan, 
who was uh, the um, he was our, a, he was an advisor to a two studies official uh, uh, classified studies that were done by the um, Library of Congress Research Office, and he was uh, brought in as an advisor on the the religious implications, and he um, was the guy that famously saw the uh, Blue Book classified files in the Madison building, in fact, in the basement of the Madison building, and he sees the flying saucer. So anyway, he's, he's telling the story as is told to him by Marcia Smith, who was the uh, head of the science and technology section at the Library of Congress. She's writing the report for the president. One is on extraterrestrial intelligence, one is on UFOs. So she tells Jan- Danny Sheehan the story that Jimmy Carter is getting the briefing and he asks for the UFO files. And Bush says, I can't give you the UFO files. Curiosity is not sufficient need to know. So people get the idea that George, that he, and he says to him, this is important. And this is where you, if you read it very carefully, you realize what's going on. He said, if you want those files, you have to go to the House Committee on Science and Technology and request them from the House. So everybody says, well, you know, he asked for the files and he didn't get the files, which meant that he'd been cut out of the loop. George Bush was the the power guy, and he wouldn't give him the UFO files. He already had the top-secret UFO files. And the evidence for that is, if he was asking for the top-secret UFO files, George Bush would not have said, if you want those files, you've got to go to the House Science and Technology Committee, because the House Science and Technology Committee would not have the top-secret files. They're going to have the files that are needed for the people. So Jimmy Carter is asking for the files for the people. He's already got the top-secret files. He's made the promise in the campaign that he is going to get, except he says in the campaign, he says, unless it's got to do with weapons and technology, I will release all the UFO files. So that's what he's asking for, the files for the people. And that's when Bush says curiosity is not sufficient need to know. I don't care if the people want to know what's going on. That's not sufficient need. And people will say, well, there's a secret government running the government. And uh, the president, you know, is, is, is no power. Bull. George Bush has always been rumored to be MJ1. He's the power guy. Him, Cheney, uh, Kissinger, all mm-hmm. these guys are the power guys. Now, what happens is George Bush is the director. And for the first time, he is not brought on to the Carter administration. You usually bring on the CIA director from the administration before. And Carter's wife says, uh, Bush ain't coming in here. And so here's this power guy, the big MJ-12 guy. He doesn't scare Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter fires him. He doesn't care. He, you're out of here. You're not going to be the CIA director. And he brings in Stansfield Turner, who's a guy he went to uh, the Naval Academy with because he can trust them. So he doesn't trust George Bush and he fires him. So if there's a secret government run by George Bush, it didn't scare Jimmy Carter because he fired him. And that's the way Jimmy Carter was. If you look behind the scene, Jimmy Carter was an A-type personality. He was a Sunday school guy, you know, real nice guy. But behind the scenes, he was a real a-hole. I mean, he was like firing people. He was he was really difficult to work for. I talked to a lot of people that, that were around him. He, was, he, would, he would fire a person on, on a just a, a moment's notice, he would do stuff like the CIA, the Secret Service people would talk about. He would walk along like he was carrying his bags, like he was the, pre, the, the people's president. And he would carry the bags, and as soon as he was off camera, he would drop the bags and, and walk off. And the Secret <laughs> Service would have to run and get the bags. Jimmy Carter was this a real tough 
A-type personality. And most of the presidents are that way. They're not going to sit back and say, okay, I'm not going to run the government. I'm just going to pretend I'm running the government and I'm going to let some clown uh, from Europe or some, some you know, the, 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 everybody would say, and it's true, if you're the president, you're just going to fire everybody until you get to whoever's running the show. And that's what they would do, and that's what they do do. So, and the proof is that Bush, who's the top, always been rumored to be the most powerful guy in the UFO world, was fired by Jimmy Carter. Huh? I didn't realize that. <clears throat> it's it's it. What fascinates me about it is the games that the U.S. plays in order to keep this secret or try and get it out. And yet, so many other countries around the world are more open to it. Like France, pretty much accepts it. There's a phenomenon <laughs> but- there, and then Chile. Chile's got a. Uh, but I think, I think but an I th- organization that's combined with the government to, to yeah. research this. But uh, but I think the Americans still run it because the right. Americans have a lot of power. Uh, Globally, the story's right? told yeah. about the uh, the Brazilian thing, the Virginia. You remember this 1996 Virginia case where the, the UFO crashes and these aliens are running around this, this town. Yeah. And uh, suddenly the American military show up there. And um, the rumored story, um, uh, what's his name? Christopher... Warren Christopher uh, suddenly appears about six weeks after this crash takes place. And uh, the rumored story in the UFO community was that Christopher had gone there to negotiate for the flying saucer. And the, the, the deal was, of course, the Americans have a lot of deals in terms of providing, uh, you know, uh, support, uh, military equipment. Uh, they can blackmail you. They can cut off your money. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of power to do this kind of stuff. So he goes in there and negotiate, and one of the deals was that they would put a Brazilian on the space shuttle. That was the story at the time. And sure enough, within a year after that deal where they got the flying saucer, there was a Brazilian on the space shuttle. Oh, wow. And and so it's that kind of stuff where you see this. I think the Americans are able to go in, especially with Canada. I'm absolutely certain Canada just salute whatever you want us to do. We, How many planes do you want? What do you want us to do? And stuff like that. And the Americans are basically running the show in, in, in cooperation with NATO. That there's a, <clears throat> there may be a group inside NATO that controls this kind of stuff. But you take a look. There's a story. We were, I was just talking to, I can't remember who it was a couple of days ago about, um, I was had a lot of conversations with Scott Jones. And Scott Jones was a Navy intelligence guy who worked for Claiborne Pell, who was the head of the um, Foreign, uh, um, Foreign Relations Committee in, in the U.S. government. And Pell wasn't really interested in UFOs, but he's interested in paranormal phenomena. So he hired Scott Jones as his assistant. And Scott Jones had this um, unbelievable, wonderful job. He, he would just run around to uh, mediums and psycho- parapsychology conferences and go talk to foreign governments about parapsychology and UFOs and stuff. And he would file his daily report with Senator Pell on all the weird stuff. And because Pal was interested in it. So he goes and he tells this story. He goes to uh, China and he asks China. So there's always a story about, well, China will disclose, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and the Americans will look stupid aware. So Claiborne Pell goes to the Chinese and he said, he always, he told me, he said, always had trouble trying to impress upon the Chinese that he wasn't an American spy, that he wasn't working for the U.S. government. And he'd say, no, I'm not. I'm working for Claiborne Powell. And he was trying to explain how it works. And like there, everybody works for the government. There is no sort of like uh, Congress is separate from the president and, you know, at at odds with the president and stuff. And he's trying to say, no, I'm working for the Congress and we're at odds with the president. And and I really, I'm not really working for the government. I'm working for Claiborne Powell. And they just, well, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're working for the government. We know you're working for the government. And so he said to them, he's talking to the highest level of Chinese officials, and he said to them at one point, he said, why don't you disclose? It was Linda told me. Linda, he, and Linda had a little bit different of a, uh, version of what he had said. But it basically came down to he, the Chinese had said, we will 
we will disclose. As soon as the Americans disclose, we will be a close second. Oh, wow. And so the Chinese actually said, we'll wait till the Americans disclose. And he, Powell, or Scott Jones also told me a story about the, the Russians. Yeah, I was the just going to ask about Putin. Yeah, well, he didn't know about Putin. He was dealing with military people. This was this is going back into the nineteen. Uh, this is about the time of the Rockefeller initiative. So this is late nineteen nineties, where he's yeah. dealing with these governments, and he was trying to negotiate with the Russians that had uh, an alien. They had actual alien tissue, and he was negotiating with the Russians to get a piece of this alien tissue, and it all fell apart. But he was at that sort of level where he was talking to these people, and it was the same sort of thing that the, the Russians knew, the Chinese knew. And uh, I think one of the problems is that if you are, <coughs> say, a, a government, what you're trying to do is get 100% control of the technology. So if you're one of the problems, the, the reasons that the government wouldn't release in the United States is that, say, you have 80% of the answer. You have it all figured out how the technology works and this sort of stuff. You have 80% and you're missing 20%. And so you, you disclose, you put it out, and suddenly you're forced to disclose Everybody finds out where, where your technology is being developed and the stuff starts to leak and people find out what you got. And suddenly you get the 20% that gets released is the 20% the Chinese need or the 20% the Russians right. need. Yeah, and yeah, now yeah, that yeah. they've got it all. And it's the old story is when this comes down to the importance of this military stuff, the way it works, it's called a lead time in weapons. That the most important thing in a weapon development is lead time. How far are you ahead of the opposition yeah. in terms of a new weapon? Yeah. So it, in the World War II example is you got the atomic bomb. You don't want to get the atomic bomb. You drop the atomic bomb. And the Japanese say to the emperor, they say, oh, like, oh they're dropping these atomic bombs. They're killing thousands, you know, 100,000 people, whatever. And the emperor says, okay, build a bomb and we're going to drop a bomb on them. And he says, okay, and how long is it going to take? And, the, and, and then the guy will say, oh, I don't know, 10 years. You haven't got 10 years. The war is over. I mean, it's like, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. So what you want is the longest lead time because when you use the weapon, especially with UFOs, it may be 50 years or 100 years if suddenly the other side has never been working on it and they have to suddenly start working on it. Like, oh, it's for real. Okay, now we're going to start working on it. You've got 50 or 100 years. Yeah. So everybody's playing the game that they're not working on it. They're trying to find what the other side's doing and they're, they're, everybody's trying to get as far ahead as the other guy. So that's why it would stop them from disclosing because it sort of un unravels the whole thing that you're still trying to win. You're still trying to find out what the other has, guy has. Right. And, and you're trying to develop the ultimate weapon. Do you think that's still the case for somebody like Putin? Or is he holding well, that yeah. card? Do you think he's close to pulling that card now? Or is that an option that he has, do you think? Well, no, because, because he runs the same risk. That he's just going to uh, reveal what he's got. He's going to put his cards on the table. And the <clears> Americans <throat> are going to look at the cards and say, thank you very much. Now we've that's got a, that's something. a little piece of what we needed or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and and so you don't want to put your cards on the table. You you're trying to get everybody else to put their cards on the table first, so you can just sit back and and watch and say, well, we're still not studying it, and then you quickly pick up. All you have to do, if the Americans, for example, the Americans disclose, and then suddenly they disclose, and then everybody inside the program thinks, oh, okay, it's, t it's safe to talk. So somebody comes up and says, okay, I'm working in, uh, say, uh, San Diego. And we're working on the propulsion system. So, of course, all the satellites, the Russians and the Chinese satellites, and all the spies suddenly go to San Diego. And it starts, that's, that kind of stuff starts leaking right, as you right. start finding out where the stuff's actually taking place because you can't really control the people inside the program who suddenly you think, well, now I can start talking about it. So you have to play this total game and everybody's playing this shell game trying to get somebody else to put down their cards before, before they put down their cards. Hmm. Meanwhile, the, it's world, all meanwhile the world's falling apart. The economy's going to the shits. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's why I say, like in, in my book, I have this thing where they're they're doing an indirect thing. They're releasing the fact, uh, for example, uh, I mentioned this thing about Area 51. If you look back at the end of the, the uh, Obama's doing the same thing, but at the end of the uh, Reagan administration, Reagan put some cards on the table. He's a big UFO guy, so he wants to do something. He's out of power. He's leaving power. About three weeks before he leaves office in November of 1989 or 88, there's a, a documentary, which I've always told people is a very important documentary to, to watch. It's called uh, UFO Cover-Up Live. Yeah. And everybody said it was a terrible documentary. It was, it was, it was uh, people were reading off. Is that the one cards with Dan Aykroyd and stuff? And stuff? No, it wasn't Dan Aykroyd. It was uh, the guy from MASH was the uh, commentator for it. But it's on the internet. Okay. It's called UFO, UFO Cover-Up Live. I, I, am, I asked people to watch it because it was, it was a setup. This was the government telling us what's going on. And this is where the idea of the live alien comes from. This is the first discussion of live alien. This is the whole discussion about the Condor, the Falcon, the Avery, this group inside the government that's, uh, the, that's working and, uh, on this program. And if you look on this thing, this is October middle of October of 1988. They have show a flow chart on this, on this program. And the flow chart shows how the UFO cover-up works. Right, you, have, right. you have the president at the top. You have MJ-12. You have the all, all this different stuff. And then you have this DC-5, which you never forget what this DC-5 was. But it, on the bottom right-hand side, you have Area 51. The importance of that is this is October of 1988. Area 51 has not been made public. Bob Lazar, who breaks the story, does not go on, does not phone Edward Teller until November, the next month. He phones Teller and says, I'd like to work. Uh, and Teller says, you want to go to uh, uh, Berkeley or the uh, Berkeley lab or do you want to go to the, uh, up on the, uh, the test site? He says, I want to go to the test site and they put him on there. He goes there November, first week of November or December of 1988. So the, the documentary runs in October. Lazar doesn't talk to Teller till November. He doesn't go on to the base until uh, December. And the story does not become public until the spring when they do this interview at KLS TV and the story goes viral. So already on the screen, you look at this, this flow chart on this screen of this documentary in October, it has Area 51 on there. Hmm. So they, this was a setup. They had already started to leak the story about Area 51 a month before Lazar went on to the base. And I always say, if you think that Lazar was, was you know, accidental or this just happened what you got to realize <clears throat> that bob lazar had three interviews and he tells us quite clearly i tell, i talk about it in my book he has three interviews to go on the base the second interview all the interviews are done by eg and g which run the base eg and g the second interview the first question in the second interview was what's your relationship to john lear and what do you think about him so before he went on the base they knew that he knew john lear mm -hmm. and he was friends with john lear and so that was the whole idea was they knew that they put this guy on the base. He wouldn't be able to shut his mouth. We'll show him all these documents, these phony documents. We're going to talk about the underground base, about the shootout. Instead of being under Dulcie, we're going to tell, tell him the story was that 66 uh, people were killed under Area 51. There was a big shootout with the aliens and all these bizarre stories and how the flying saucer works. And he's going to run back, which is exactly what he did on December 6th. He runs back to John Lear. He says, John, we, 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 it's, we've, got, we've got crafts. And John says, are they theirs or are they ours? And Lazar says, they're theirs. And he said, well, what are you doing in my house? You know, they're going to be watching you. What the hell did you come here for? Go back on the base and work for six months. Then come tell me what's going on. So it's exactly what the government had planned. Lazar couldn't shut his mouth. And he's actually taking people, and this is the proof that this was a setup. They actually, he's taking Lear 
out, and I was involved. I actually have a phone conversation with Lear when this happened in 1989. He's taking Lear out to the base when they're doing the test. And they're doing the test. I can't remember it was Thursday night at 9 o'clock at night or Wednesday yeah, night yeah, at Wednesday. 9 I think I remember Wednesday. Yeah, and he's doing it every week. So they go out there. So the first week, John takes his motorhome, and he's got Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar's wife. He's got uh, all these different people, and they're in the motorhome. They go up on the, on the north side of the base, and they, they watch the test. But they don't, they don't film. So the second night, Bob is, uh, Lear is flying. He's an airline pilot at the time, so he's flying. He does. The third night they come, and that's when they get caught. So they, they're there, and they, they, they see the, uh, the, the, the green lights. And, and Lear says to me, I should have known. It was, it was night vision goggles. I mean, I, I didn't catch on. And suddenly they're, they're being chased and stuff, and, and they get stopped or whatever, and they get stopped by the, um, the police, the, the Las Vegas police guy that you know, threatens them and all this sort of stuff. So anyway, the next morning, he gets called and to, to work. And they take him to Indian Springs outside of Area 51. And this is where they put the gun to his head. And they say to him, you know, when we said this thing was top secret, that didn't, bring, that didn't mean to bring your friends out to watch the test. And he, he goes through this whole thing about the threat. The thing was, they never fired him. Everybody thinks he got, it never got fired. Hmm. They suspended his security clearance. Now, if this is the most top secret program in the United States, if you are violated, I mean, you're lucky you don't get executed. Yeah, I mean, you're going to yeah. be in jail for the rest of your life. And they let him go. They let him go out and they say, because his wife, they play a tape where his wife's having an affair with some air, uh, guy that's teaching her to fly. And they play this. And they say, we feel sorry for you. So we're going to suspend your clear security clearance. And they send him home. Absolutely wouldn't have happened. They would, they would have arrested him. He would have been in jail, all this kind of stuff. So they send him home and they actually invite him back to work a couple of weeks later. And he believes that he's going to be drugged and that once he gets on the base, he's not coming out. So he refuses to go into work. He quits. He was never fired. So it proves that this was a setup, that the, he, there was more stuff they wanted. They wanted to put him out there again. They were going to give him, leak him some more stuff and send some more stuff to John Lear and, and, and funnel this stuff out. And then because he gets this threat, he gets taken there and put the gun to his head. That's when he goes to Bob, to uh, George Knapp and they put him on, on backlight camera and they gave him the name Dennis. That's when he goes public, when he put a gun to his head and he fears for his life. And that's when the story goes viral. And then they have to back off and they, they sort of throw it up. But they were telling them all sorts of bizarre stories. They gave him a gun and said, oh, the Russians may want to abduct you. So here, here's a gun and, uh, for, for you to use. And they were using all this sort of stuff where people said, oh, they took a shot at him on the, on the freeway. And they tried to kill him. They said, let me tell you, if the U.S. military, black ops, decides you're dead. You're dead. You're dead, you're dead in an hour. They are not going to miss. They are, there's no way. So what they do is they shoot him. They shoot the car, and they want him. They, they want him to talk. They want him to keep telling these stories. The government's after because as soon as you tell the story that the government's trying to kill me, everybody just tunes out, tunes you out. Yeah, you look like crazy. They, they hear your story, and you're the crazy guy. But the story gets out. So that's what they're doing. They want the story out. So they put they they use bad people like John Lear, who nobody wants to believe. Bob Lazar. They 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 put it through the. Uh, the one guy I talk about a lot in my book is this Ron Pendolfi guy. He's the head scientist for the CIA. And he actually comments on my book when it, when it finally comes out. And he's leaking material through Dan Smith. I don't know if you know the story. He would leak through Dan Smith. He had a thousand meetings with Dan Smith. Dan Smith was the best man at his second wedding. And he's the head scientist for the CIA. He's rumored to be the guy that briefs the president on UFOs. He's the guy that runs the weird desk. And he's leaking this stuff to Dan Smith. 
But Dan Smith had been on a lot of boards, a lot of podcast boards and discussion boards, and he had a drinking problem, and he had lots of problems. He would lose his cool, and he'd get kicked off these drinking, uh, these, these, these boards. And he was always banned from boards and stuff, and he was a very difficult guy to deal with. So P- Pandolfi was leaking stuff to Dan Smith. And the material would come, and pe- people would always say the same thing to me. I'd say, okay, Dan Smith said this. And they'd say, you can't believe Dan Smith. The guy's crazy, man. The guy's got a drinking problem. He gets, he's got a bad temper. He's, and they rattle off all the, the stupid things he'd done, and that's what they do. That's, you don't want to leak it. If you want it out, you'd go to the New York Times, give them all the documents, go yeah, to the Washington yeah, exactly. Post, give them all the If you want it sort of out, and you want the story out, but nobody to believe it, then you're going to give it to Bob, Bob Lazar, you're going to give it to John Lear, you're going to give it to Dan Smith, you're going to give it to somebody who's got a bad reputation because nobody's going to believe him and the story's going to get out. So that, that's how they're, they're doing this. Disclosure's taking place. They're telling us these parts of the story, but it's the classified aspect of building the weapon that everybody's trying to control and this consciousness thing that they really don't, I don't think I understand, this consciousness aspect. Right, right, which we, sh- which we should get into, but I have one more question before uh, we, we sort of switch gears to, to more. Yeah. Your latest research, get off the political thing for a bit. But when do you think it shifted in in the political spectrum of when they started to want to leak disclosure? Like, because obviously for a while <clears throat> it was kept secret, whether it was intentional or not. I think they've always done. It. If you look at nineteen fifty nineteen fifty six nineteen fifty six, there was uh, a bunch of blue book guys. There was a, a doc. It was a, a movie called UFO. And it had, you know, sort of like a documentary on UFOs, or whatever. And uh, the advisors were U.S. Blue Book guys. Um, you have back then they thought it would. They, back then it wasn't so much of a security thing, but they thought we couldn't handle it, probably. Yeah, and but they they've always been sort of indirectly dropping these sort of uh, um, things. Uh, the, the, the one that I often talk about um, that um, I at one time thought of writing a book, and that was the story of. Um, the other documentary it was 1972 documentary. Uh, it's on the internet. Um, the 75 documentary. It was started in 72 and they finished it in 75. Uh, it's on the internet. It's called UFOs. Uh, it has begun, and Rod Serling is is yeah. moderating it. And if you look on there, that was another setup. That was um, a guy by the name of Bob Emenager, who's a good friend of mine, <coughs> who's a um, advertising executive for. Gray Advertising. And Gray Advertising has always been rumored to be a CIA front company, that they use uh, Gray Advertising to get out uh, documentaries and stuff that they want. So Bob wouldn't have known that. Bob is just working for, for as a vice president at, in Los Angeles. And this other documentary that I talked to you about, Ronald Reagan, I believe, was behind 1988. It was run by Gray Advertising in New York City. Hmm. And it was all staged. The guy that wrote it was a guy who did Grammy Award shows and that's why they always told me, oh, he, he did it. He was used to being on time. And that's why everything was scripted. We had to read the script. No, you had to read the script because they didn't want someone saying something that was out of they, they wanted to control the script. And so that's why it was it was written beforehand. And, and they, people had to read their, their own story off a, off a cue card. But uh, Bob Emgener tells a story that Sandler comes to him. And um, now he's telling me that he doesn't remember the story. But he told me that. Uh, the Pentagon, there's a documentary company that was doing stuff for the Pentagon and they had messed up a thing on the Pentagon papers in the 1970s. And so they came to uh, Alan Sandler, who is the intelligence smart guy, the guy with the connections to the intelligence agency. And they say, we want you to do some documentaries for the U.S. military. This is 1972, 1973. Uh, Nixon is running for re-election and um, Bob Emenegger is working on Nixon's campaign. He's a Republican guy and... Um, so they get called to Norton Air Force Base 
And this is in this uh, part of this is in this documentary UFOs. It has begun 1979, and um, Paul Shardle is the security manager at Norton Air Force Base, and he says, "Okay, uh, we're having problems with the U.S. military because it was the Vietnam War days." And he said, "We're having problems, and we need to raise the profile of the U.S. military, and we want you to do these documentaries on the U.S. military, and we want you to do one on uh, 3D holography." And uh, working with dolphins and all these different programs that the, the U.S. military was working on. And I think they gave them eight different programs. And they were to do these documentaries and, and they were going to put this stuff out to the public and make it look like they weren't, you know, just bad guys trying to kill people. And then at the end, then he said, oh, and we'd also like you to do this um, UFO documentary and we'd like you to hide it under the other documentaries that you're doing. And Bob had always his, his wife... I know, know his wife. She's really into UFOs. She's into everything. She's, she knows everything backwards and forwards. And he'd always said to her, Margaret, why, why don't you stop reading these tabloid, <laughs> the, the alien baby stories? And he didn't believe the UFO thing. He thought it was all garbage. And he said he was just shocked that suddenly the Charlotte guy is saying, and he's going, what, what do you mean? It's for real? And then he, and the Charlotte says, what would you say if we told you that in May of 1971, a UFO landed at Holloman Air Force Base and that we filmed it from three different vantage points. It was six o'clock in the morning. And Bob gave me all the details. There's no, he was given every detail. Six o'clock in the morning, there were three different camera crews. One was in a helicopter, two were on the ground and they filmed this thing uh, coming in and the, the thing lands and these aliens get out and they're greeted by military officials at Norton Air Force Base. They put the hang, they put the flying saucer in this hangar. The aliens are there for a day and then they take off. And he said, what would you say if we said that we, we this had occurred and we're going to give you the film and we want you to tell this story? So they go through the whole documentary and they're able to talk to everybody. They go in the Pentagon, they talk to Coleman, they talk to the, the Blue Book head guys, and they're told all this sort of stuff. They're told about the channeling story, the CIA channeling the alien in 1959, which I had because it, the Canadians were involved with the same woman. So I knew about the story about Alpha, this alien, and, and the CIA was channeling this alien through the top guy, Lundahl, who was the, the weird desk guy, who was mm -hmm. channeling the alien so and this story they tell on in this documentary and they actually get lundahl the cia guy and they say can you go on camera and tell the story he said you don't realize i'm on duty i can't do that but he does leak the story so they leak this story about the fact that the in 1959 june of 1959 these navy intelligence officers have contact with this alien and the flying saucer flies by the window of this highly secret cia building and and they don't deny the story so they tell they tell that story and then they're going to do the one with the with the um, the the um, Holloman Air Force Base, and they have the film. Now, there's some controversy whether Bob saw the film. There's all this, you know, how much they had. They but they did have the film, and um, they're doing storyboard stuff about wh how they're going to do it. And at the very last minute, just as they're ready and they're going to put this uh, this actual film of this aliens landing at Holloman Air Force Base, they come to them and say, "Oh, it's Vietnam." Uh, we have uh, the Nixon scandal started, Watergate, uh, we can't, it's not the right time to do it. And they pull the film and they say, we pull the film, but you, ha you ha tell the story, but you have to do it with uh, drawings. So they basically tell the story and they say, this may have happened or this may not have happened. And they put the story, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. They put the story and they sort of tell the story about these aliens that landed at Hallmark Air Force Base. And they say, well, it may have happened, may not have happened. And Rod Serling's doing this thing. And then I, I get the story that part of the film is in there. And I look at it, and if you look at the film, it's very clear. You can see there's, eight, I think, eight seconds of the actual film. It, because it's, they're going along the mountain of Holloman Air Force Base, and all of a sudden you see this UFO coming over the, over the mountain, and it's this bright thing, and it's like just dawn, and the sun is just coming up, and there's things coming across. And all of a sudden it cuts away to uh, people talking on a, on, a, on a radio, on a 
you know, the military people talking. And and so I say to Bob, I phone up Bob and I said, Bob, you, you told me the film went back to the Pentagon. He said, yeah, Coleman asked. He said, the time isn't right. You have to send the film back. And we put these two people in the Datsun and they drove this film back to the Pentagon across the United States. And I said, but Bob, there's a piece of the film in there. And he goes, uh, well, yeah. And I said, well, you said the film went back. So you, you put eight seconds of the film in there. And he said, well, yeah, but it didn't show anything. I said, what do you mean it didn't show anything? It was actual from the film. And he said, but it didn't show the craft. It showed the craft from a distance. Not, not up coming close. Coming in, out, not up close. And it didn't show the aliens. That's what he said. So as soon as he said that, I realized this is this gradual disclosure thing. It doesn't, classified aspect would be, what is the actual flying saucer? A close-up of a flying saucer on a military film would be classified material. Right. The, the, the aliens would be classified material. And then there was this story where, where they draw the aliens. And, and if you've ever seen, the, they wrote a book called UFOs, Past, Present, and Future. And they show the aliens in the book. And they, they show the aliens on this documentary and it's a Sumerian it's a Sumerian with these braided hair and it's got this uh, staff and it's the goofiest thing and it's like this is what the alien looked like and he said well I didn't see the picture this was Paul Paul Shardle was describing it to my storyboard guy that worked for Grey Advertising and he was drawing it based upon what Paul Shardle told him to put down and then Mike Luckman who's a producer a music producer out of out of um, New York City comes to me and he says they hoaxed the whole thing man they hoaxed it and he shows me this this alien from a British museum, and there's no doubt it's 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 the it's the thing. It's, the same it, thing yeah. it's exactly the same thing. It has the staff, it has the braided hair, it has the sort of the band around the the head, and so I go to Bob and I say, Bob, what's going on here? And 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 then he he goes to Charlotte and Charlotte gets all upset, and then he says to me, I never saw the film. We never saw the film. Charlotte drew it from, and he was the security guy. He gave it to my storyboard guy, and I never checked it. We just went along with what he drew. So it was the whole deal that Shardle knew that was classified material. So he draws this goofy uh, Sumerian thing in the British Museum, and they put it on. And even the Bob Emmenegger and Alan Sandler don't know what the heck's going on, that that's not the alien. That's classified material. So they, this, they leak this, this stuff. And, and like 40 years later, we figure out how this, how, how this stuff's all put together. Mm-hmm. But there, there's no doubt that these guys were led. And then in 1983, they put this documentary out. And Linda Howe tells me this story. Bob is has not denied it, but he doesn't want to talk about it, that he got a letter from Richard Nixon, and in the letter, Linda Howe said she saw it, she was in Los Angeles, Bob showed her the letter, and uh, Larry Fawcett, who has passed away, but um, Fawcett saw it as well, and it said from, it was from Richard Nixon, and it said, thank you for your uh, cooperation and um, something on the project that we worked on. So it's, it's handwritten by the president and basically said, thank you for, for keeping this and, and doing this documentary. So Bob tells me in 1983, uh, Ronald Reagan is in. And suddenly they contact him, the U.S. military contacts him and says, uh, we'd like you to come back to Norton and we'd like to, uh, the, the government liked what you did in the 1970s and uh, we'd like to do another one. So the first question Bob Emenegger says, is Reagan behind this? Because he, he knew that this was like, it was coming from the top level. So Reagan wanted this documentary and they wanted them to do another one of these things where they're going to leak a bunch of stuff they're going to put in the documentary and all this kind of stuff. And so they go out there and it all falls, falls apart because they want um, Jacques Vallée in the documentary and they want Ellen's, uh, um, Heineck. Heineck in it. And Heineck and Vallée realize 
that they're going to they're going to pull a rug out from under them and they're going to look stupid they're going to be with egg on their face so they don't refuse to go along with it and they drop the documentary because uh, valet and Heineck won't go along with it but they were offered a second uh, a second go round in the in the 1980s to do another one of these documentaries that actually fell apart hmm. wow that's fascinating i wonder what valet would say about that nowadays like i wonder if he would regret that you know, uh, well, he's written about it. In one of his books, he writes, he calls it the dangling carrot. Oh, really? He writes the story about the dangling <laughs> carrot, uh, how he, from his vantage point. And, and it was true. It was because that's what they did to Bill Moore. <clears throat> you see, the reason that they released all this stuff to Bill Moore, the same reason they work with Stephen Greer. If you're a high profile uh, UFO person and people start listening to you, what they'll do is they'll single you out and they'll say, oh, you're on the right track. I'm yeah, from the government. Yeah, I'm yeah. here to help you. And they start feeding you stuff. Yeah. And they, they may feed you some true stuff, but they're, they're directing you to keep you under control. They want to know what you're doing. And so you, you trust these people. So Stephen Greer says, I've got this, this guy in the NSA, and they go into the vault and steal documents and stuff. I like, baloney, they steal documents. I mean, <laughs> there, there's, there's no way. I mean, they, they, they would know in like five seconds who the guy is that he's dealing with at the NSA. They've got every phone record and everything that ever happened. So they do that. And that's what they did to Bill Moore. Bill Moore, and, and I, when I write the book, I describe how this happened, was in 1980, Bill Moore puts out the first Roswell book. And before then, nobody knew that Roswell existed. Everything's, oh, we always know about Roswell and the aliens. And stuff. No, it didn't happen until 1980. Stan Friedman did this interview with Jesse Marcel Sr., and he tells a story about the fact that they had the, the craft and, and the bodies and this sort of stuff. And they start going after the story, and he and Bill Moore who was a very prominent researcher at the time, a very smart guy, like Podesta, like the smartest guy in the room, were, they were working on this, and they went and interviewed all these witnesses from Roswell, and they put out the, the after Roswell, I think it was called, or whatever, in 1980. And even uh, uh, Barry Goldwater is asked about this book, and yeah, he comments yeah. about this book, and he says, um, I could talk about um, some of it, but don't ask me any questions, and, and he basically confirms that he knows some of the stuff about what, what's right, right and wrong in the book. But anyway, he puts the book out, and then suddenly, it's like this is not just uh, you know some guy saw a UFO. This is actual witnesses to a crash flying saucer, and suddenly it's like the cover-ups unraveling. Yeah, that yeah. there's a there's a report there's a there's a researcher, and now everybody's listening to him. Like this guy's a smart guy; he's for real. And so they come to Bill, and Bill was as would any president or Podesta or any high-level guy. He had an ego as big as as big as the world. I mean, he was he just thought he was the smartest guy in the world, and he was a smart guy. So he gets contacted two times. He gets contacted once uh, when he's in uh, uh, doing a radio show promoting the book. The book has just come out. It's seven days into the book. He's promoting the book. He gets a phone call. This is uh, uh, the Falcon. And uh, we want to talk to you. And you're the only guy that knows what you're talking about, which was the absolute hook. I mean, that's the way you get Bill Moore. Say, you're the only guy that knows what you're talking about. And Bill Moore says, yeah, you're right. This guy's smart. He knows. He knows I'm the only guy that's not. And, and then he gets a phone call from uh, the big Air Force base in, the, in Nebraska where they have the, uh, the, B, the B, uh, B-25 or the, the B-52 slew out of there um, outside of Omaha. And he gets a phone call from that base when he's doing a thing in Nebraska. And the guy is the same guy. And he says, uh, uh, you're the only guy that knows what you're talking about. We'd like to have a meeting. So, of course, he gets hooked into this. And they say, uh, we'd like to help you, uh, and which is like, yeah, right, you want to help us. And so what they do is they start feeding him stuff, true stuff and false. And they actually told Bill Moore, they said, some of the stuff we're going to give you is true. Some of the stuff we're going to give you is fault. And you got to separate the wheat from the chaff. And, of course, Bill Moore, having the ego that he had, said, yeah, I can do that. No problem. I, I can figure out what's real. And so he gets into this, and he starts working 
with the government, not for the government. He's not getting any money or whatever, but he's inside. He figures, I'm smart enough to figure, and he's watching what the government's doing. And of course, they're setting him up. And then in the end, when this whole thing blows up with the Condor and the Falcon and uh, the, the fact that he comes out and actually admits that he's uh, actually was working with the government, suddenly that's the end of his career. He never did anything after that. And he actually points out, he told me, and I've pointed out numerous times, he said, everybody was doing it. He said, I was the only one. And he talks about jail and Hynek. That when you had the, the, if you remember the case with Paul Benowitz, mm-hmm. who was outside a Kirkland Air Force Base, and he's watching these UFOs fly over the Manzano weapon storage area where they kept all the nuclear weapons, which he was watching UFOs that were flying around the, the Manzano area because they are very interested in nuclear weapons. And so they set up Paul Benowitz and they try to drive him nuts and they try to make him see, well, they, you know, see can, they, they succeeded. Yeah. And, and, and what they did was the computer, they gave him this computer and said, this computer will help you monitor what's going on. And, and so he gets this computer that was actually monitoring what he was doing. Huh. And the computer was provided by Jalen Hynek. Wow. So Jalen Hynek was in on it as well. Jalen Hynek has always worked for the government. He got a paycheck till the day he died. He was working for us, but he's also working for the government. And so here's, here's Bill Moore takes the fall for this whole thing and his career ends and everybody says he's, you know, lying and he all this stuff. I knew Bill Moore. He had an ego, but he wasn't lying. He was actually telling the truth. He was the only guy that actually came out and said, yeah, I was actually helping the government do this kind of stuff. And uh, you're all getting taken for a ride and they're, they're using everybody. And he basically uh, sort of spilled the beans and he went down. So the story about the, the Condor, the Falcon, uh, the live alien, all that stuff gets out and they actually take Bill Moore down, which is what you want to do. You don't want everybody listening to Bill Moore. You want Bill Moore to be discredited the same as you want Bob Lazar to be discredited. You want, uh, you know, Dan Smith to be discredited. So if you get very prominent like Stephen Greer, they will set you up and they will get you discredited. They yeah. will give you material, but they need to control you. You can't have some lone wolf guy running along who everybody's listening to and is getting credibility. They want to control uh, who's part, got the part computer. of the message. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. and then, and then in the same they so then they discredit you and it's still part of the, of the consciousness, you know, people, it's yeah. just like, uh, <clears throat> you know, when you hear something in the media, it's hard to go back from, uh, you know, hearing, hearing something else just still doesn't change that for initial perception, you know? Exactly. So, That's so my, it's, it's like subliminal advertising. Yeah, yeah. So Michael Luckman was involved way back then as well. So you knew Michael from, because I remember well, listening no, he, to... Uh, I, I got involved with Michael because I was doing the music. Yeah, And yeah. I, I'd sort of known him. So then I, he just suddenly, we were doing the music thing. And when I started the music thing, he, he started the second book. And he said, I'm going to do another book. And I've got more. And he's, he's starting the second book. And then suddenly he just came out of the blue. And he said... Uh, what the heck's with Eminager? This guy's lying or whatever. Oh, I said, no, I, see. I, I said, no, Bob doesn't lie. I mean, Bob ain't interested. He couldn't care less. He has no interest in UFOs. He just said, this is what happened. And he's telling the truth what happened to him. And he was called in and this sort of stuff. And he's, when, when I, I visit him all the time in Arkansas, he lives at Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I go there and we'll talk UFOs if I bring up the subject. But he sits there, he's, he's a comedy guy. He, he loves watching the comedy channel. He just watches the comedy channel. And his <laughs> wife is really into it. And he, he, every time it comes like, oh, MJ-12, I don't believe that. That's all garbage. And I don't believe this. I don't believe that. And his wife says, you've never read a book. Just shut up. You don't know what's going on. And then he goes, okay, then Margaret. And he just sort of quietens down. And he goes back to watching the comedy channel. He has no interest in UFOs whatsoever. He just got dragged in because he was the 
advertising executive at Gray Advertising right. and did this documentary. And it was Shardle that knew what was going on. Uh, even his wife said, I mean, Bob was like the, the, the guy who did all the work. It was Shardle was, it was dumb as a stone, but you could give him a, a piece of gum and a stick. And by the end of the night, he would made a pile of money on it. He was a real sharp guy who knew all the intelligence people and stuff. And he was the manipulator and Bob was just doing all the work. He, Bob didn't really know what was going on. And so when he did his project, when he got out of the UFO project, this documentary, he went back to his regular life doing, making comedy, making jokes and, and advertising. And he's into the, the symphony and stuff. He had no interest in UFOs. And I said, so I said to Lachman, he's not lying. I know Bob. I see, there's no way he's lying. He may have been deceived by other people, but he's telling exactly what happened to him because I've heard the story a thousand mm-hmm. times and I've made, I've, I've gotten him set up on different interviews and people are interviewing him. They're going, hey, Bob was going, but you know, it's so weird. You know so much about me. And they don't realize I've feeded, you know, the, the guy doing the interview, 40 questions, ask him about the Nixon letter, ask him about this, ask him about that. And, and Bob's always surprised that these people know so much about his story. And so I've heard him tell the story to a number of different interviews and, and he never alters the story. He always tells the same story. So he's telling the truth. And, and so you see these background efforts that, that, that have been taking place all along. And I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know where it's going. But we are, uh, we are making a move in terms of the fact that when Hillary brought up the issue, it doesn't seem to any more be a toxic issue. It seems to be something that people are sort of willing to talk about without saying, you know, is this woman crazy? So we've made that move. Yeah, and I get the feeling that the press doesn't really know what to do with it yet, like the mainstream press. It'll be interesting yeah. to see. If, if Trump does something, then it, they can't let they, – they just cannot let him go without talking about it. So Yeah, they'll, they'll walk away. Yeah. So it, it should happen. I think the, uh, the the vote there is what February the eighth. So all the, all these people will have been talked to by February the eighth. Oh, so I well. see. So that's the time. Okay. When's so the vote? February in, in New Hampshire, in New Hampshire caucus is on the eighth. So we've got a couple of weeks, and it, I was told that all of the campaigns come to this office. And so far, they've had Bush there, and they've had uh, uh, Kasich, and they've had. Um, uh, the guy today, Cruz, and uh, Hillary. That's but all they decide have, who's in the not the Democratic and Republican <coughs> nominees. Well, that, that's will the be. first one. If you if you win New Hampshire, then it's like oh you're ahead, and then suddenly Ohio. Okay, all the Ohio vote shifts, and everybody shifts to your side because you're the front runner. So you want to win New Hampshire because it's the first one. If you lose New Hampshire, it's like, well, do we keep going or can we win now that we've lost the first uh, thing? Like if Hillary oh, loses, so people could, start dropping off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Hillary could, I mean, you'll see a lot of people drop off because they got to spend a lot of money to go into Iowa and spend, you know, another million dollars. And of course, if you're funding the campaign, people will say, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fund because you're, you only got two percentage in, in New Hampshire. So if Hillary gets wiped out in New Hampshire, she's got, she could be gone right away. It, and and the, 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 what I was told by the reporter was his expression was unless uh, Sanders kills a puppy on national TV, <laughs> he's going to win. He, he's wiping her out in, in New Hampshire. So it could be over very fast, but we're going to get the questions in before the vote. And so I'm encouraging the guys, you know, like make sure make sure you ask Trump and make sure you uh, yeah Sanders too yeah and Sanders President so that Trump. it gets. It gets profiled because everybody, everybody will say, even that's Cruz today talking about that he might go into Area 51 and do an investigation and becomes president. Everybody that is a Cruz fan will say, he said what? He said, did he say that? And, and you're going to get a lot of reporters go, really? And then they're going to ask him, you know, like, did you really say that? And that's the thing. To me, that's consciousness. It's just get everybody to talk about it because yeah, yeah. they're all high profile people and a lot of people are listening to them. Especially so it comes this down, year, too, it seems like. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like the X-Files is coming up in a couple of days. And I, so I'm one of these believers that I don't care if it's a good alien movie or bad alien movie or, uh, you know, because yeah, African-Americans, I mean, there was a lot of bad African-American movies before putting them down and a lot of gay, bad gay movies and stuff. It really doesn't matter whether it's a good movie, bad movie, what they say good, bad, about, as long as they're talking about you, as long as they spell your name right, sooner or later, everybody's talking about it. And then the majority of people will make the right decision. Yeah, I, I think it's probably okay to let uh, gays be human beings. Yeah, that makes sense, you know. And everybody will just make the right decision. It, it's, it's because people don't talk about it, that they get into these sort of little corners where they believe these crazy little things. When people start talking about it, I believe that's when consciousness is raised. And that's where I think we've made this move is that now we can talk, because Hillary Clinton has talked about it, it's okay to talk about UFOs, because Hillary Clinton talked about it. It's it's no longer, uh, there was, for example, there was the idea, <clears throat> if you remember back in the uh, Clinton administration, um, there was a woman by the name of Deborah Oren, who was with the New York Post, and she hated the Clintons. And she did the Monica Lewinsky stories and stuff, because that was a re- Republican paper. And she talks about when Bill, uh, when Hubble, Webster Hubble comes out. Webster says um, he was told, he wrote the book Friends in High Places. He said, Clinton called me in and he wanted the answer to two questions. Who killed JFK and are there UFOs? And I went out and I couldn't find anything, whatever. So he puts this in the book. So the book becomes public in 1997. And of course, Deborah Oren asked the question to the press secretary for the president. She said, "What's is, is this true? Did, did Clinton go, get him to go out and, and uh, do, do UFO stuff? And the press secretary walks around the question. So she comes with a follow-up. She's asked, allowed to ask a follow-up question. So Deborah Oren says, is it true what, what Webster Hubble writes in his book? And then he said, I'm not going to comment on what private people put in their private books. Hmm. And then Deborah Oren is interviewed years later. And she said, I sat there and I waited for someone to follow up on my question. Right. And they all rolled over and played dead. She said, yeah. and that's because it's the dumb question. If you're the if you're the, the 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 press secretary to the White House, you probably spent your whole life trying to get there. And it's like you know, you go back to NBC or whatever, and they say you asked a UFO question. Are you stupid? Pull your press pass and you're gone. So nobody wants that. You want to ask the question about you know uh, foreign policy or you make it sound like you're smart or something like that. You don't want to ask the dumb question because your your reputation is on the line with your your employer. But now because Hillary's talked about it, it it it's no longer sort of the toxic issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, it, so so we have the political consciousness shifting there, and then and then Michael Luckman and and you have been taking over that research of more of the cultural uh, consciousness or the artistic consciousness like you've yeah. Michael look I heard Michael Luckman on an interview I think it was probably eight years ago on a podcast or something and his book that alien rock it blew me away like the amount of super yeah. popular rock and, and pop musicians that have had experiences and have been you know singing about this or <clears throat> that's really got to be changing our culture as well and, oh, and that's some genuine genuine uh you know, some genuine experiences there. It's not like they're just making up shit. Like, and they're, and they're sort of a little bit more forward, you know? So you've already got these artists that have admitted that there's a, there's a, a long list of them that have admitted. Yeah. That's, you know. that's one of the, that's one of the books I have that has to be edited because when Luckman died, then suddenly I was the only one doing it. And I'm taking a bit of a different aspect than he did. He, he just had, isn't it interesting how all these rock musicians are interested in UFOs? And I'm more interested in the the uh, aspect of how many of them are experiencers. 
Right. And how many are putting in lyrics? And I'll tell, so I, I've got a book that's basically finished. And there's actually two documentaries. People want to do documentaries. And they're offering me, you know, executive producer and stuff. And I said, I really don't want to do it because I know what they want me to do. They want me to set up the interviews with these these rock people, and that's not my that's not my thing. I right. said I will tell I will yeah. tell you who's involved, and yeah. I will tell you what the lyrics are, and and I go through like um, songs that come in dreams and stuff like this. I've got like almost two hundred songs that come in dreams, and wow. some really really bizarre stories that are almost like the um, the alien thing. So I do the alien thing. And I do um, the sort of the download stuff, the number of musicians that talk about getting stuff in dreams and getting stuff in downloads and these weird uh, or through angels. Carlos Santana gets this stuff through this Archangel Metatron and how he won eight Grammy Awards and he gets this message that he's going to be put together with all these and turns out experiencers, uh, you know, uh, uh Thomas, uh, a number of guys who are experiencers around that 2000 album stuff. But I'll give you an, an interesting story because it, it sort of shocked me when I heard it. Is the is the the story that um, with the dreams is um, a lot of people know that uh, the song yesterday, which is the most recorded song, played song in the 20th century, um, rock song, was a, a dream that Paul McCartney got. But a lot of people don't realize that Let It Be which was the number one in the United States. It was the longest on the chart, eight weeks at number one, uh, was also in a dream. And when everybody hears it, and I, I mean, I remember hearing it as a kid, and so I've known it my whole life, and I always thought that the, the you hear the lyrics in there and it says, uh, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. And everybody thinks it's Mother Mary in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And when you hear it, when you, when you check it, you find out, no, it was a dream. His mother's name was Mary. And when she died, when he was 14 years old of cancer. And in the 19, late 1960s, the Beatles are breaking apart. Paul McCartney's separated from his girlfriend. Uh, John Lennon is basically cleared out. Harrison they, uh, is not even showing up at the stuff. They've, they've stopped touring. Uh, the, the thing's all falling apart. McCartney's trying to hold the Beatles back together. He's all stressed out. He's all, all disturbed. And his mother comes to him in a dream. And he said, it was so nice to see my mother. And she said to me, it'll be okay. Let it be. And that's where the song comes from. Mother Mary comes to me in times of trouble. Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be. And so I go through all these weird songs where you look at the lyrics or, you know, uh, the, the, the lyrics of the songs with um, uh, the only reason I got into it was because Neil Young was one of the songs that was given to me as being uh, experiencer, uh, uh, Chris Bledsoe, very famous experiencer, said, I got a message from the, from the, from the Guardians. He calls them the Guardians. That the, the message is in the music. Hmm. And I go, whatever. Like, my mother's a church organist. I've never listened to music in my life. I can't play the simplest thing. I know everybody in my family's musical. I have no interest whatsoever. I played football, baseball. I couldn't care less about music. And so... Uh, he's telling me about the music thing, and I goes, well, "Whatever, you know, I, I'm not interested in this." And then he says, "Well, one of the songs is it, that they told me was Neil Young, after the Gold Rush." And I said, "Neil Young? He's from Winnipeg. I'm from Winnipeg. Neil Young was one of them." And if it hadn't been for Neil Young, I never got into it. So I look at this song, and it was written in 1968, and a lot of experiences have have have. Um, I, I've got maybe five or six experiencers who have sang the same song after Neil Young produced it in 1968. 
Dolly Parton being one of them. Dolly Parton runs it, writes a song about abduction. People don't really know this. And she's the one, she went to, 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 to Neil Young and she said, what, what do the lyrics mean in that song? What, what does it mean? And Neil Young says, I have no idea. I was totally stoned when I wrote it. I have no idea what it means. And you listen to the lyrics in the second half, it talks about there were the fact that we're treating the world like a gold rush. That's why it's called after the gold rush. We're treating the world like a gold rush. And when the gold is gone, the world is going to become a ghost town. And the silver seeds, the flying saucers, are going to come and pick up the chosen ones and take them to another planet. And this is the, the, the experiencer message. It's this, they're all running around with this experience thing. Something's about to happen. There's going to be a rapture. We're going to be taken away. There, there's going to be people moved to the fifth dimension. And almost all experiencers are talking about this. They're showing the screen. We saw the screen. A uh, billion people are killed. I, I hear all these different things talking to different experiencers. And that's in this 1968 song. And then you get like people like Patti Smith and, and uh, people like that who are definite experiencers. I mean, Van Halen or whatever his name was from Van Halen. Although he didn't do the song. Uh, Sammy nope. Hagar. Yeah, Sammy Hagar. But, but, but you take a look at, at some of them. I mean, <clears throat> I, I name a couple of them. Like, like a lot of people don't know that um, Cat Stevens was abducted. Cat Stevens clearly, before he became a Muslim, talked about the fact that I, he was on a rooftop in London and they came over and sucked him up into the flying saucer. And he writes two songs about UFOs. One's called Longer, Long Boats. And the other one, the, more, the, the one that you should have to listen to, is called Freezing Steel. Freezing Steel. I was on the house of Freezing Steel, the house without the guiding wheel. That is critically important because there is no guiding wheel. There, yeah. they, there is no control. It's, it's flown with the mind. And so Cat Stevens in 1972 writes a song about being on the, on the house, a house of freezing steel, the house without the guiding wheel. And so you see that kind of stuff. And that's where I get into. I, I do all these musicians. And the head of KISS, Ace Fraley, talks about waking up in a doorway. He said, I've woken up in a lot of weird places in my time, but this one took the cake. I'm half in the door. I'm half out of the door. And I suddenly these images of aliens come into my head. And I'd had images of aliens in my head before, but he said this time it was different. And then he went into the shower and he checks his body for, for marks on his body and stuff like that. Wow. And then he goes, he goes into the backyard and there's a, there's a circle, a burn circle in his backyard. And it's, I think it's 27 or 29 feet apart. And he's going... What do you know? My lucky number. And he tells the story, a long story, almost like uh, Sammy Hagar tells this long story about his, his abduction experience. Um, Sammy Hagar. And then I go through all the people that end up in um, movies. Like I, all these weird coincidences, like how many uh, rock stars ended up in UFO movies? A lot of people don't realize Jerry Garcia played in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In the scene in India where they're all chanting, you'll see Jerry Garcia's got these headset, this long boom mic. He's walking around these people in India. And he's got these headset on. That's Jerry Garcia. He huh. plays. Uh, David Bowie, who uh, just died, David Bowie was big time into UFOs. He, ran, he was an editor of a UFO magazine in the 1960s. He was having six sightings, six or seven sightings a night. He believed the aliens were following him around and tapping into his mind how he thought. He became famous with this uh, Ziggy Stardust. That's what became famous playing this alien. He plays in a 1976 movie about an alien that comes to Earth and has this message for the world. And, and then the weirdest one that I put on my Facebook and Whitley Strieber actually commented on it. Willie Strieber doesn't realize he'd been abducted until the Christmas of 1985. Mm -hmm. But he was famous for a lot of movies. And he did the movie The Hunger in 1983. And David Bowie, who's uh, definitely an experiencer, 
played in that movie. He played in the movie The Hunger in Whitley Strieber's movie, and Whitley didn't even realize he was an abductee. So you get these bizarre coincidences where these people are coming across and and just wild stories, like the U2 story where, um, you know, he's a real religious guy. I really couldn't get any UFO connection, but it almost appeared like that at all. And then I start looking at this um, this big world concert he did in 2012, 2013, and I'm watching the uh, some of the clips from uh, the UFO appears, which happens... Uh, Ozzy Osbourne happened. Uh, Springsteen happened. A lot of these where the UFOs appear over the over the rock concert, oh. and this happened at U2 in Salt Lake City. And all these people are filming these UF, this UFO flying around while while um, U2 is playing. And then they have this thing, and he's he's got the the spaceship, and he says, "How do you like my spaceship?" And he's talking to the guy on the on the on the space shuttle, and uh, during the concert, and uh, then on the screen. And this is where people maybe not realize it, but experiencers would realize this. It goes across the screen. You have these aliens, these aliens flashing out as sort of a, a round screen that's going above the stage and it's going round and round. And this alien comes across and it's going across and the alien's going, what time is it? What time is it? And he's alien, what time is it? And then it goes three, 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 three. And it comes across the screen and I'm going, I can't believe it. Three, that's the ultimate. Three, three, three is the abduction thing, you know, where uh, the abductees all see three, three, three. They wake up at three, three, three in the morning, and it's got three, three, three. And then Bowie's, um, what's his name? The YouTube guy says, Bono. he says, yeah, Bono says, end of the world. We need help. Wow. And and the interpretation is, it's almost like a double interpretation. It's it's this, the, the the experiencer message, but they say it's Jeremiah three thirty three, which says, "Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee." And that's what the 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 YouTube people say that three 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 means that it's a he's giving a message for Jeremiah three thirty three. But when I saw it for the experiencers, or uh, there's this video um, played by it just came out. They were getting a million hits a day. It's called um, "Wake Me Up." Um, VT. Yeah, and if you look at the video, play the video, their official video. When I showed it to Colin Anders, I said, Colin, because Colin's an experiencer. He was abducted in 1951. I said, Colin, what do you think of this? And he said, now there's a message. And what it is, the video opens up with these two girls, a young girl and an older girl. The girl's maybe 23, whatever, and the young girl's maybe 10 or whatever, and they're lying in bed. The video opens and they're lying in bed. And the the one girl, the older girl, gets up. The other girl's still sleeping. She gets up to go into the into the uh, the the bathroom, and you can see she's got these two triangles on her arm. And I'm going, wow, that's kind of cool. So she goes and she's and you can they're showing the triangle. She's got her hand up, and you can actually see the she's got her hand in the camera, and you can see the triangles. And then the young girl comes walking out, and she's got triangles on her arms too. And this is the the key thing that experiencers have, you know, triangles on their body. I mean, Almost every second experiences will tell you about they woke up with a triangle on their body. So I'm going, wow, this is kind of cool. So then the video goes, and then they go into town. They get dressed. You can't see the triangles on their arm anymore. They go into town, and they're walking through town, and they're being treated like they're aliens. Like everybody's looking at them, like taking second looks, and people are walking away. They're going to the other side of the street, and then they get to the, out of the town, and the young girl says to the older girl, she says, why don't they like us? And she puts her arm around and says, it's okay. And why don't they like us? Why don't the people in town, this small town, like us? And then they, the whole thing ends up, they go through this whole video. And in the end, they end up in this big rave concert with all the people and they've all got triangles on their arm. And I'm going <laughs> like, 
wow. And it's got like a million hits. It was like, at one point, it was like half a billion hits on, on, on this thing. It was just unbelievable. It was a million hits a day. And yeah, it was like this- 836 in- million right now. No way. Yeah. Yeah, we've played yeah. this song on the show before. Have we? And, and it's an indirect thing. Like you, I, unless you're an experiencer, if you're an experiencer, that's what Colin Under says, like, wow, there's a message. Like, it's just bizarre. Everybody else would just sort of look at it like subliminal advertising and not realize what it is. But if, you, if you're an experiencer and you see this, especially this thing with them going through town, about the, they're, they're, everybody's looking at them exactly like they're aliens. Like they're, 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 they're backing away and sort of like, like they're weird. And they look like ordinary people. They're just, you know, dressed like ordinary people. But uh, these kind of things. So I, I did a whole book on, on, on this kind of stuff. Or how many songs are written in under uh, 30 minutes? And it's like hundreds of songs. Right. I mean... You know, we're, we're, it'll come instantaneously. Yeah, like channeling and, or downloads. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what, like, that's what uh, I go through, like, the uh, John Lennon abduction experience. And, and John Lennon talking to um, one of the guys who's doing a lot of music now. In, I don't know if you've ever had him on your show. You, he, he'd easily do your show, is um, Meryl Fankhauser. Meryl Fankhauser is the guy who started surf rock in Hawaii. He's the guy that wrote the song Wipeout. You know, with oh, the drums yeah, yeah. in the 1960s. He wrote that song. He's He's been writing songs. And he and Luckman got him when they got these sounds under Malibu uh, in, the, in the ocean where they uh, got this object on the bottom of the ocean and these sounds or whatever. He gave the sounds to uh, Merrill Fankhauser. And Merrill sat down and he tells these stories where he suddenly gets these downloads of, of he produces an entire album from these UFO-type songs or sounds that are coming from there. But anyway, he, he told me, he had, had a sighting in 1974, uh, the same place that um, in in um, Hawaii where um, uh, 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 what's his name, the guitar famous guitar guy, um, African American guy. Anyway, he Hendrix. had a Hendrix. Yeah, Hendrix had a uh, a UFO appear over his concert. He was uh, there, and this is where F- uh, Merrill Fankhauser has a sighting in 1974. So he makes up this song called. Um, uh, coming from a star, speaking from stars, some song about this UFO. And he said, he goes to California to, he, he names this producer, he's going to this guy's house, and they want him to play this song, whatever. And he walks into the room and he says, John Lennon's sitting there. And he said, it was the only time in my ever in my career I was stage struck. I, I was just petrified. John Lennon is sitting there. And so he plays this UFO song. And John, of course, had his UFO experience. And uh, so he said to me, John looked at him and he said, what's the inspiration for that song? So Frank Hauser tells him the story. And they don't talk about UFOs. And he said, John looked at him and he said, you know, this is like channeling, you know. <laughs> this is how it works. It's like channeling. And I'm telling you, if you get it, write it down immediately. And all musicians know this. I mean, they've all got tape recorders well, by their art, bands. Artists, actually. Poets, probably. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and he said, you got to write it down. He said, a lot of the Beatle music would have been a lot better, but we couldn't get into a studio. So we'd go for two months without getting into a studio. And, it, and he said to Fankhauser, he says, if you don't get it right away, it'll lose its freshness. So Merrill Fankhauser has his studio in his house, down, down the hall from his, from his bedroom. And so he, he's very good at this sort of, uh, the inspirations that he's had, the songs he's had, the songs he's gotten in dreams and stuff like that. But th- that's where, you know, uh, Yoko Ono and John talked about this all the time that this was like channeling and I, and I so I, I do a whole chapter on inspiration the, the number of musicians that talk about this inspiration aspect that that is like channeling and it's it's coming from somewhere or they get taken over while they're playing and suddenly they they go into sort of a groove where they, they they're not even paying attention to what's going on and stuff like that or the song uh, uh 
um, the famous one, when I started looking, I wanted to see Guess Who, because I'm from Winnipeg. And Guess Who was the biggest rock band ever to come out of Canada. So I go, well, I mean, I wonder if they, you know, uh, had anything. And of course, I, well, okay. But anyway, Rush, you could uh, Rush. Rush might beat them out, but. <laughs> well, but, but the, they outsold the Beatles in 1969. Oh, when wow. the Beatles, yeah. When, yeah. so when they were, not now, but when they were big, they outsold the Beatles. And they, their, their song, American Woman, uh, well, Rush, I can tell you a story about Rush and, and UFOs <laughs> as well. But uh, so I, I, I figured, I wonder if Burton Cummings has been abducted. So I, I, I put this on there. And sure enough, up pops his Facebook page. I could not believe it. And he's writing in capitals. And he says, I'm 64 years old. I'll say whatever the hell I want to say. And he's defending Whitley Strieber. Now, if you're an ordinary guy on the street, I mean, I mean who knows Whitley Strieber? There's no yeah, idea. No. But he says, I know exactly how he feels. He's being mistreated and he's going on. And then you hear the story about American Woman, the most famous song that they produced. And you hear the story and you hear him telling the story that they're in Mississauga and they're playing. Have you ever heard the story? They're playing in, in, the, in Mississauga. They're between sets. And, and and Randy Bachman is up there and he's broken a string on his guitar and they're fixing it or whatever. And Burton Cummings is in behind the stage. He's negotiating to buy some records from some guy or whatever. And all of a sudden they start playing and he says to the guy, I'll get the records later. I got to get up back on stage. He goes running on stage and they start playing this riff from American Woman and they're playing and Burton Cummings starts singing American Woman. And they sing the whole song. They play the whole song. And then they, they see there's a kid. This is 1968. They see a kid in the front row, and he's got a handheld tape recorder when the handheld tape recorder is first going. And the kid's holding the tape recorder up. And they realize this kid's going to bootleg the show. So they tell the manager, this kid's going to bootleg the show, get the tape. So they get the tape, and then they play the tape at the end, and they go, where the hell did that come from? They're listening to American Woman. None of them, they never wrote it. They don't remember playing it. Nothing. And Bachman tells us, uh, they tell the story. They it just appeared out of nowhere. And if it hadn't been for this kid with his handheld tape recorder, American woman would never have existed. And it's just these bizarre stories. That you start ran, looking. Sort of because they ran out in the channel that you mean, and then it was recorded that, well, they, inadvertently. They, like, Yeah, they just started playing it, wow. and he started singing it, and uh, they didn't even remember playing it. and Because and, they, they didn't realize that they played this song until Did the they end. they never practiced before or anything? Never like practiced, that? never wrote it, nothing. And, and, and Randy Bachman was just sort of tuning his guitar because he'd broken a string and he started playing this sort of riff and, and, uh, Burton Cummings starts singing these lyrics about American woman, get away from me and all this sort of stuff. And they, but they didn't remember singing it after they sung it. So, so there's a lot of these weird stories and it's, 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 it gets into this consciousness type thing that, you know, uh, aliens are giving us help. 41% of all experiences getting downloads. And you get the same thing with musicians, that musicians are getting help. Most of our uh, top inventions, the, the theory of relativity came in a dream. The theory of the atomic uh, quantum atom came in a dream. The uh, DNA and acid trip. Yeah, acid trips. As, uncertainty principle came in a download in a park in Copenhagen and I can go through all these things and I say to people you think we're actually figuring this stuff out no no we're not figuring it. you're just tapping into this sort of non-local consciousness that has all the answers and musicians can do it and me mediums can do it mediums are very good because most mediums have had childhood abuse They've, and, and I've talked to a lot of them it's it's very high percentage and they allow, they're able to dissociate if you've had a very bad childhood 
you you tend to be very psychic because you're able to shut off the physical world and it sort of throws you into this non-local world. Yeah. And so 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 I, I go through this whole this whole book is on this whole principle uh, and I call it inspirations and downloads. And I go through all these different inspirations and downloads and the musicians. And the reason they got musicians is because when you're a kid from zero to 10 years old, you walk around, you hold your parents' hand. As soon as you're 10 years old, like, get out of my life, get away from me. And their heroes are not their parents anymore. Their heroes are musicians. So if you're an alien, you want to get the message across to people who are going to listen. Once you're 25 years old, you can't do nothing. That's why they abduct kids in the cradle because that's how you have to get them before they get all these crazy ideas in their head. And the same with kids who are 10 to 20, they want their own life. They don't want to be their parents. They want to have their own thing. They want to achieve something in life and they're looking. So they get this idea and they think they got the idea and it's actually been planted by somebody in their head. And that's how you, why they're, musicians are so important to aliens. So, so what about some of the more recent guys? Like, uh, like let's say, are, are any of them organizing their own thing? Like I think Blink, Blink 182's uh, Tom DeLong is quite interested in it. Tom DeLong. I think, that's, I think that's his name. Yeah, he, but, he actually, I've got him on my Facebook site. Oh, okay, good. Um, so you're in contact he, with him? Well, I'm not in contact, but I'm, I'm, I'm watching very closely because he has interviewed John Podesta and he's interviewed the president. And he has, he's just had a posting. If you go to my Facebook site, you'll see it. Or if you go to his site, Facebook site, you'll see he's posted on February, January 14th. He's posted, he's got this documentary and he shows oh, yeah, yeah, a, a, a patch from, from, uh, uh, Lockheed Skunkworks. What's that runs a podcast? On. No, documentary out. And, and he's going to do this documentary, oh. and he's basically saying, it looks like he's going to disclose what's going on at Lockheed Skunkworks and outer space, that we've got the technology and stuff like that. But I know he's interviewed uh, Podesta, because he's got a picture of uh, interviewing Podesta, and he's also introduced the, introduced the President of the United States. So I, I told this to Steve Bassett, he didn't know this. So Steve is trying to get a, a, call, a hold of him yeah, yeah. because it's just but this this idea that that Podesta and Obama are trying to force this thing out, and they're doing it through this indirect thing, and we're trying to find out what did they tell uh, DeLong, and so this documentary said a couple of weeks, so this should be out within you know a week oh, or two. Oh wow, okay, yeah. Jeez, I just and, heard something about it, it, but I've been and I've been meaning to follow up on it, but I just yeah. I just don't. Have and it, time. it'll put more pressure. It's almost like you have you have that documentary coming out. You have Hillary talking, and you have X Files, which is big. I mean, it's a big uh, thing that everybody's going to be talking about. People are going to be doing articles, whatever. And John Podesta will probably do an inter- interview or two <clears> and talk about it. And it's the same thing. It's just consciousness thing. It's just getting people to think more about it. And uh, if the numbers are very high for X Files, I mean, all the young people, you want them to watch it, and they're all going to think this is kind of cool. And subliminally, the idea gets planted in their head, and and they're less, uh, you know, able to, you know, come up with some stupid idea about time and space, and you can't get here, and all that kind of stuff. And so, so what about like bands like Skrillex and stuff that are more electronic based? Do you, do you have some stuff on them as well? Like, I think they've got like a ton of alien themes and all that, and they're, um, they're right well, you'd have it. to send them to me. Like, I, I get sent so many. If you send me the list, I, I, what I'll usually do is I'll investigate the band. I know the one, the one people disputed with me was this, um, uh, Clown Posse, what's it called? Oh, um, yeah, Insane Clown Posse. Insane Clown Posse, who's a a, a band for uh, gangs. That's their main audience, and they said, "Well, the aliens wouldn't go to them." I mean, this <laughs> and and you listen to their song. They have one, and it's got UFOs flying around, and, and it's like the same stuff. And it's like, no, if you're an alien, they, they sold 11 million albums. If you're an alien, 
that's part of that's part of your audience. You're not just going to go to the people who go to the the New York Polo Club. I mean, you're going to go to the people on the street. I mean, you, you want the message to everybody, and and so they're they're going after. I believe they're going after all all these different bands. And it's the bizarre story. It takes sometimes it takes a while to get the story, but if they've done a UFO song, then you you start going into their background and you find out it's usually the lead singer for some reason who's usually the guy who's had the experience and you start looking and then you find out he's had a UFO sighting and then you find out, you know, the you start looking at some of the lyrics and the, you get the experience of lyrics. The one girl, um, when you kept, we were talking about triangles, the one girl, and see, I, I'm not a music, musical type person. She sold about 11 million albums too. She writes a song called Lights and it's, there's no doubt it's, it's an abduction song. She's one of the people like um, uh, Cheryl Crow, who's an experiencer, people can't, they, they always report that they give away their, their situation because they can't, they can't sleep without the lights on. Mm-hmm. And so this uh, woman, she sold a million albums and she talks about, um, I have her and she writes this song about lights. They're coming to get me. I'm going away and all this sort of stuff. And it's, it's a very famous song on the, on the charts right now. And she talks about the fact, she says, I'm fascinated with triangles. And she says, I've only got one tattoo in it. It's a triangle. It's a red triangle on her wrist. And so here's like, like, ding. It's like all these things that they say that the general public wouldn't realize. But if you know experiencers, you know that the sort of signs of experiencers, you could pick off these musicians. It's like, wow, that's, there's definitely like this person is an experiencer. They may not even know themselves. They just know that they can't, you know, they, 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 they have these impressions about someone coming to get them in the middle of the night and they, uh, they, they sleep with the lights on and they got triangle obsession with triangles and stuff like that. And same with this, this other video with the 800 million hits. I mean, these triangles and it's like, well, maybe accidentally they stuck these triangles in the, in the video, but I, I really don't know. So I just sent you a couple links anyways to bands that I like one of my favorite electronic bands who's been around for decades and they they've got all kinds of interesting songs about about UFOs and they have a whole album called UF Orb actually it's really cool. Wow. And then wow. Uh, and then yeah that's, I sent you the Skrillex link too just to check it out. It's just sort, sort of more there's a, it's every genre as well, right? Like it's all this electronic stuff, it's rock, it's pop, it's Sure. Sure. Country. Yeah, you have I mean, to go to all the audiences. It's all over, yeah. right? So, so I wanted yeah, to ask you uh, before, and, and sorry to keep you going here so long, but it's just it's mind blowing shit. Um, the conscious, <laughs> you're speaking at the Conscious Life Expo, I think, last year, yeah. and I just was curious as to, uh, you know, obviously probably kind of a new age crowd, and and so a lot of different, uh, yeah. you know, different spiritual type speakers. Like, how did how did you find that, and was it uh, similar uh, to the s- sort of the big UFO conferences as far as well? Your- I've, I've never. This is the first time I'm I'm lecturing there next month at, at the. Uh, Consciousness Life Expo. I've never lectured there before. Oh, I thought um, it was last year. No, oh, I, I lectured okay. at uh, a Contact in the Desert. Right, and that's okay. that's where one of their people saw me because I did the uh, Consciousness lecture at. Uh, I did the Alien Music thing at at Contact in the Desert, and then I did uh, in the smaller workshop. I did the uh, Consciousness thing, and the one woman invited me. That's the first time I, I've ever lectured outside the UFO community. So it's it's kind of like the joke that I'm going to start with is the the joke where um, you know you're like the little kid and you come and say you know what I discovered I, I was in UFOs and I discovered that you know like a little girl oh, like yeah. it's a tree yeah. and then everybody in the audience goes yeah it's a tree we know already <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're way ahead of me eh and and, and so I'm going to do the link it's to say because there's this division you may not know but there's this division between parapsychology and UFOs parapsychology people don't have anything to do with UFOs I mean they, they'll uh, even John Keel talked about this. You'll go across the world to do a, a, a thing on a ghost, but if your next door neighbor says they saw, you know, a light followed them down a, a road, 
they they won't even listen to them. Yeah, there's, same, there's same with the Bigfoot researchers too. There's yeah, another. yeah. And so I'm going to put the connection. I'm going to say you may not you may not think that UFOs is connected, but watch this. And what I'm going to do is spend a lot of time on on this recent free survey. The, the recent free survey of um, experiencers that Edgar Mitchell's group has, yeah. has, has put out. And if you look at it, I don't know if you've seen the stats, but I keep saying to people, if you look at the stats, it's going to blow your mind because it, you give give up the physical UFO. I mean, it's gone because I've always had this impression in the last three years that the more you look at it, the less physical this thing is, the more spiritual it is, the more it involves reincarnation and, and all this kind of stuff. And when these people answer the questions, that's what it is like. 70% are, have uh, psychic experiences. 60-some uh, percent have out-of-body experiences. 35% have had near-death experiences. Uh, you know, and only less than 10% believe aliens are evil. Uh, 54%, this is the key one to me because it's the key message of the aliens, is oneness. The whole idea that everything is connected, everything is one, everything's tied together. That message, 54% of all experiences have been told that message. That is the key message. And there you go. And that's the key message in, in, in the sort of the new age spirituality, really, too. It's like through, yeah, psych, through psychedelics or through meditation or enlightenment. Sure. It's like you yeah. have those experiences and, where everything and that, is one. And that's the whole idea is you're just, you're just finding a way. If you're using psychedelics, you just got the, the, the sure, fast way to get over there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, they, and the musicians are able to do this. Like I, I tell the story about musicians. I, I wrote an article. I said, do you realize that the vast majority of the major musicians of the 20th century – couldn't read or write music. I mean, the Beatles, Stones, uh, Kiss, I mean, Barbara Streisand, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson. Yeah, all the huge like ones. Yeah. I can't and, read and, music. And, and, and so it's like the, the, the music uh, that people have is if, if your kid learns music, they learn left brain music. Memorize, rehearse, yeah, memorize, yeah, rehearse. Yeah. But if you, wanna, if you want your kid to be a real good musician, just give him a guitar in the garage. And he, he will download this stuff because it, it is evident that you're either copying somebody else's, but the real stuff uh, that is, is getting brought in from, from outside and all these things is just moving into this non-local thing. And so that's the lecture I'm going to do is to say this is how it works. And the quantum physics is the number one message in quantum physics. If you get the entangled particle experiment, you know, where... Uh, Einstein called spooky action a distance and he hated it because he believed in time and space and suddenly it's like, no, no, you can affect a particle on one side of the universe and the other particle on the other side of the universe that instantaneously will uh, change its spin. And they say, well, it means it's the information is going faster than the speed of light. No, it means there's no time and space. It means it's all one thing yeah. and it's it's the same message. And so, so I'm going to do the quantum physics thing. I tie in all this sort of stuff about consciousness being primary, that you do not have a physical particle until there's an observer. Until there's an observer, you have a quantum wave potential. As soon as the observer appears, the particle takes its position in time and space. So there is no time. There is no space. There is no physical universe as we know it. Everything is conscious and everything is alive. And those are the basic rules I start with and say, I learned this through UFOs. I learned this, through, <laughs> this is not, you know, they, they may know this kind of stuff, but uh, the UFO is the same message. The, the, the abductee people are getting these messages. They're being told this kind of stuff. And uh, it all fits together. It's all the same stuff. It's just the aliens are in that world of... Um, downloads of the spirits or whatever they know how the world works and and mediums are thrown there because they have child abuse musicians are there because they're very right-brained and they're creative and they get over there psychedelics gets you over there meditation gets over there meditation gets over, you know hypnosis can get you over there it's just finding the way of shutting the left brain down the physical left brain 
And as soon as you can shut down the left brain, you can enter that non-local thing and invent stuff and get music and do whatever. There's really nothing unusual. It's it's like as um, um, uh, Stephen King, who wrote a lot of his books, he has in one of his books this SSDD, same shit, different day. That's all it is. It's the same shit, different day. It's all the same stuff. We're just, we're parsing it. We're saying, well, even the, the, the experiencers would say to me, I do the channeling thing. And they say, we're not channelers. Don't put me together with channelers. I'm not a channeler. Yeah. And I'd say, no, no, it's all the same stuff. It's like, you're getting it your way and they're getting it their way. They're channeling in. They're just, you know, breaking that left brain thing. And the aliens are forcing you to break the left brain thing. And, uh, you know, you're getting help and they're getting help. And it's, it's all, it, to me, that's the, the book. It's the first book. It's Inspirations and Downloads. Then I do the music book and it's the same sort oh, of. So those are the two books. So you got two separate books coming out. Yeah. Well, when, whenever we get them edited, I have I have about six or seven books that are near finished. We should get RPJ on it. Yeah, yeah. So, so can are, are you uh, have you gone to Dolan at all to try and get it done? Or? I had my first one. I, I I had my first one with Dolan. I wouldn't go back. And I had my second guy had problems with him on the, on the second book. Oh, and uh, so I've got the books. I just uh, and I'm not like uh, you know. There's a business for someone who knows how to do this is to be able to put these things because everybody's got a book they want to put on on Amazon, and it's the ability you just got to edit it. And then you got to put it up. And once you know how to do it, it takes like three or four hours to put it up there. It's, it's not that hard to put up. It's just because I'm, I'm, I'm a writer and I'm a researcher. I just, I, I've tried it numerous times. Oh, I, I'll do this. And you can't edit your own books. You can't, no, no, no. you just can't yeah, see you, the mistakes. Yeah. So, but there's a, there's a, a, a business. That's what Dolan was doing. Cause a lot of people want to put the books up is just to put people's books up for them because people want to do this. So uh, I'm open to anybody who's, who's in that kind of, uh, kind of stuff. Uh, and I've got these books and, and because I, I was sort of blown away, I had all these, these books. I had the one original book from the 1970s still isn't published. I got a movie deal on this thing. I got a movie option on it, but a book still isn't published. And so I've had all these, these sort of things where it always sort of stalls at the last, at the last stage. And, um, uh, I, when, when Mike Luckman died, it, it, it shocked me. I went, oh my God, this could happen to me too. Because my kid is not interested. It almost happens like your family's not interested, your kids aren't interested, you're the only one that's interested. And if I died, those books, nobody would ever see them. My kid would throw, where's the, where's the will, where's the money? Like throw this garbage out of here. All we don't this need this amazing, stuff. all this amazing it's all accumulation and, of research. And so and I, I, I sort of live with this ground. fear every day. It's like, oh my God, you know, if I died tonight, this stuff would not get out. I actually I have a girl in New Jersey. I send her the manuscripts and I update her and I say, if anything ever happens, here's the manuscript. And I tell her there's some big business guy who put out uh, Romanex books. I said, go to him, try to get these things out. <laughs> I'm trying to protect myself if something happens, eh? Grandma, I, I, grandma I would drive say, over there on the weekend and get that shit. <laughs> so, I, I, and it's, it's weird. I mean, I've got a book that's like 40 years old that still hasn't been published and I've rewritten it numerous times and I've got all the, all the stuff about the nuclear weapons in there, which I'm going to be interviewed with, with uh, on Linda's show tomorrow. We're going to do the Reynolds from Forest and the connection to nuclear weapons, which is in this book. That's how my original thing started. It happened with nuclear weapons in North Dakota. That's why we had all the sightings Why not, right? Well, Minot and Grand Forks uh, base, they had they put in an, an the only anti ballistic missile unit that was ever went operational in the United States was Nakoma, North Dakota. It, they started putting the missiles, a hundred new missiles, and this is pre Star Wars. They're going to shoot down the Russian missiles coming in, and uh, they put them in in February of 1975, which is when the sighting started. And they negotiated with the Russians and started taking them out in November of 1975, and that's when the sighting stopped. And there hasn't been a sighting in that town since. 
And wow. it, during 1975, it was there every day. It was like unbelievable. It was just, you could go there and see it anytime you wanted. It was lying around. And, and so I tied into the nuclear weapons and I tied the six day war into nuclear weapons. I tie the uh, Eisenhower meeting in 1954 in nuclear weapons. It, you, you start looking at it, it's all nuclear weapons. There's a great tie into nuclear weapons. So, but that book's never been published and I, and I've got it and it's, uh, it, 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 there was a, a deal with a Toronto publisher, but it was just such a bad deal. It was like, you, we get your next uh, born child. Every, every book you bring out, we get the same deal with the next book. And it's like, I'm not signing this thing. It's crazy. You <laughs> so, can have, you can, you could have the Charlie Red Star book from Carmen, the the winner, the Canadian story, but you're not getting all my books. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. So, so how can people hear that story about the nuclear stuff? You're you're talking to Linda Moulton Howe tomorrow. Tomorrow on her show, which is broadcast Thursday night. I couldn't do it Thursday night, so we're taping tomorrow. Right. Her and John Burroughs. And because she's wounded Burroughs, they would she we got on the nuclear weapon. She said, Well, let's do the nuclear weapon thing. And it has to do with the Polish. The the, the Russians were gonna reinvade Poland at the time of the Rendlesham Forest event. And because they kept the um, forward based tactical nuclear weapons at Rendlesham Forest. That's exactly what they would use those weapons for along the, the Iron Curtain if there was a skirmish. So you wouldn't have to bring the weapons in from the United States. You have them up in, in Germany and in Turkey and, you know, right. UA, the UK, and it was illegal. The, the, they weren't supposed to be in the UK. So it was always classified that they had these nuclear weapons. And, of course, it was like when I had mine, it was the Vietnam War. So the, the Americans lost the Vietnam War. And then it was, I'm sure all the missiles went on alert, all the Minuteman 3 missiles, because now you have no more troops on the ground in Southeast Asia, and you're sitting there waiting to see what the Russians are going to do next. Are they going to take South Korea? Are they going to take the Philippines? Are they going to take Indonesia? And you may have to use the nuclear weapons because you don't have any troops. And how are you going to stop? Because in the 70s, it was this domino theory. It was like one country after another is going to fall to the communists, and they take this one, then they take this one. And they had lost Laos, they'd lost Cambodia, they lost North Vietnam to the communists, and they were scared. So I'm sure the nuclear weapons were all on alert in North Dakota, and that's why the UFOs were there. And the same at at, at, at Rendlesham Forest, the, the Russians were going to reinvade into Poland in December of 1980, and that's when the nuclear weapons went on alert at Rendlesham Forest. They were going to they were thinking of moving them, and the aliens picked it up. We still don't know. We still can't confirm that's what happened. The aliens pick up the fact that the the the, the weapons are live, and they go in there and shut them down. Hmm. So, so, the, so, does she release that uh, afterwards on demand as well? Like, can people uh, go no, back and listen to that? that? No, that's on. That's not on. Uh, that's you just, have to listen Thursday because it, it's on that uh, network that. Um, oh, that, Dol- oh, that KGRA. On, yeah, KGRA. Okay. Which, which I, I'm kind of upset about. I, I had said I wasn't going to do any any more of these shows because I mean you're like a you're like a hooker, you know, a free hooker, <laughs> and you're providing them stuff to to sell. And I don't mind if they, you know use it but if my friends can't listen to it i say oh it was a good we talked about something you should listen to this and then they come to me and say well you gotta get a membership i can't listen to it and it's like well you know yeah we yeah darren and i talk about that a lot as far as like the live stuff goes right like most of it 99.9 is listened to on demand right so like our content goes out for free to everybody whoever wants it and there's no advertising or anything so yeah and that that to me is the thing is you're getting the message out so i'm willing to do any time you know to to provide for those audiences I just have a problem that when someone tries to make a buck and I, I can see they're doing it, they're still doing a little bit to get the message out, but it, it does, it does sort of hurt the cause. 
Yeah, especially when 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 the back catalog's not available easily. Like everything's happening on phones now. It hampers now. the People... audience, really. You go from you know the the possibility of thousands to tens of thousands to probably you know maybe hundreds to tens of hundreds. Exactly, exactly. And that's what it's about: raising consciousness, about getting a message to as many people as possible, yeah, getting yeah. Hillary to talk about it. And uh, so I, I um, in fact, they did a, a big show on KGR Radio with musicians. They did uh, one of the guys from, uh, um, uh, he was with Led Zeppelin and uh, a whole pile of them. And uh, John Anderson and... Well, uh, from Yes? And, yeah, but you can't get it. So I, I, I've got a copy. I, I got a copy from them and they gave it to me. And I, I used that in my manuscript to put that stuff in there and used it uh, for to re-interview. Like John Anderson, we had him re-interviewed by an experiencer, Suzanne Chancellor. And because he, he tells the famous story. Have you ever heard his story? John Anderson's no, story? No, but I love, yes. There was a <clears throat> yeah. He, he tells the story, told to Colin Andrews. Uh, and I think Colin told it pu- publicly on a, on a radio show um, that he was in Las Vegas with Yes. And he was at Caesar's Palace in his hotel room. And an alien came through the wall and gave him information. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> and uh, so uh, they they did uh, they didn't do that. Do you know part, when? That, do you know when that story? Sorry to interrupt you. Do you know when that story took place? Like no, I'd album? have to ask Colin. Colin was actually pr- approached by a number of them uh, because he was a prominent lecturer. Yeah, and of course, yeah, a lot of yeah. comes from Britain. Yeah. So he was approached by them. The other big one he was approached by was uh, the Moody Blues, and the Moody Blues clearly state they were abducted in 1967. They're going into London. They're three hours late. They see the UFO. It goes and the on one and guy, on and on. I can't and, believe and the, that. And the one and the one guy draws the alien, and they don't deny. I mean, but they go to Colin Anders. Colin Anders tells me the story. He had Renaissance come to him. He had John Anderson come to him, and then he had the Moody Blues. And he said, um, Mike Pinder from the Moody Blues and the lead guitarist come, and they say they come to his crop circle lecture, and they say, uh, we want to talk to you. Can we take you for dinner? He says, yeah, okay. So they go for dinner. And, and Colin says, they're telling this story. And he says, you can tell they're not making up the story because Pinder's talking and then the lead guitarist, then Pinder, and they're, back, they're going back and forth. And they're saying, you know what? We remember before we were born, we were in this round uh, uh, ship type thing at this table and there was these elder guys and they were telling us, you're going to be musicians in this, in this earth. Then the lead guitarist says, tell us, tell them how we came back on the earth. And they're telling this story, this whole idea that you have with abductees, that they're not really abductees. They're people who volunteered to come in and do this. Right. And that's the story the Moody Blues are telling, that they remember before they were born, they were told they were going to be musicians. They were going to put these lyrics into the songs. And they knew all this before they were born and how they came back into the earth and, and how they came through this black hole and all this kind of stuff and got back into the earth. So when I lecture, I, I, when I do the Moody Blues things, I say, you may believe this is a physical phenomena, but if the Moody Blues are telling the truth, and this goes back before birth. This is no longer a physical problem. This becomes like a spiritual problem. This becomes like multiple life thing that people are agreeing before they're born to come to do this kind of thing. This is not about aliens like Santa Claus coming to bring us toys and free energy and stuff like that. This is, uh, you think more alarm clocks, like aliens are alarm clocks. Like the alarm is going off and that's why they're here and they're trying to warn us and stuff like that. And it's, it's, and I say with that free survey, the Ray Hernandez is very good at explaining. He's uh, what their main guy. He explains these polls. I'm actually got him talking to my group next month. Uh, that you look at this stuff and you see this real non-physical element, this consciousness element that comes out. And and these people are they. The second part of the survey where they ask these, it's 450 questions. I mean, every question you can think of has been asked to these people, and it just it completely throws your mind. 
from what you think, evil aliens, uh, you know, hybrids, all this kind of stuff. That's really got nothing to do with that. And and these people are answering the questions at very high percentages in in opposite directions. The way I figure it, the aliens are like the tech support for the Akashic cloud. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. IT just reboot. Reboot yeah. causes yeah. whatever they're doing. They're, they're doing, you know, maintenance or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You'll and figure it out when when you go when you die or pass on or whatever. They'll be like, oh yeah, remember we were checking. Are you like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it'll yeah. all make sense then, right? Yeah, that's the thing. They live in that world. That's what I say when it comes to to ghosts and paranormal phenomena. They live in that world. They just understand how it works. It looks like magic. It's not magic. They just they're living in that world. Yeah. So so they can appear like a. Um, uh, well, even last night we got into sort of debate about the, the cattle mutilation. And it's like, oh, they're using, you know, the fluid and stuff. And I said, well, no, why would they take the cow with them? I mean, why are they dropping the cow there? It's a, it's a sign. They're just like trying to, it's like a crop circle. Like, watch this. And everybody's, they're trying to raise consciousness. People look at this and what's going on. Why are these cattle downrange from nuclear power plants and stuff like that? And uh, so this, came, this idea came up about they're using this, this fluid. And I said, well, it's very evident. If you talk to enough experiencers, you know that experiencers will talk about the fact that the alien turned into a ball of light, that it's not a physical phenomenon at all. Yeah. And therefore, why would a ball of light need uh, alien tissue to survive? I mean, it's a ball of light. And uh, you get aliens are able to screen image. And, and the other thing I have, which I, I'm, the I think I'm the first person to bring up, is I talk to a number of experiencers about are we actually dealing with aliens? So I'll ask, I asked Betty Andreas and I had her on, on my group and her husband, both abducted in 1944. So I said, Betty, 1944, you're seven years old, you're abducted by these, these, these aliens and there's always one alien that deals with the person. There's a bunch of aliens to deal with, but there's one that tells them what to do and, you know, it's their friend their whole life, whatever. I said, Betty, did the alien ever get any older? And I know what the answer is. She said, no, he didn't. But they always say the same thing. Well, aliens may live longer or whatever. You can ask any experiencer. Did the alien ever get any older? And they'll always say the same thing. No, never got any older. I mean, Betty Andreessen, it's been like 70 years she's been, and the alien always looked the same. And so the question is, are we looking at a screen image? Are we looking at an alien? Are we looking at a, a ball of light or what's actually going on? Hmm. Maybe, they're, maybe they're just appearing like aliens because we happen to be in that kind of stage. Like 1895, the UFO sightings, I was talking to Linda last night, said, look at the sightings in 1895. They're flying around in wooden ships with propellers. I mean, and then it turned to Foo Fighters, and then it turned to green fireballs, then it turned to flying saucers, now it's triangles. It's like they just keep changing the, the pattern, and we mean, mean nothing physical about this phenomenon at all. Is that just like changing the programs that the simulation's running, upgrading the software? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I say, I say, it's like they're turning turn the pages of a book, and you say, "Well, you know, when was the last time we had a Foo Fighter sighting? 1945. Well, where's the Foo Fighters? Well, they're on another planet. They've done this a thousand times. This, they've sent the Foo Fighters there, and then they're going to send the Green Fireball guys there, and then they're going to send the contactees there. Then they're going to, you know, they it just we're just going through the pages. It's like crop circles came. Now they've they've sort of almost stopped. Cattle mutilations, Linda said, well, they're going on. There's thousands in Argentina. I said, well, not in the United States. The patterns change. They keep changing the pattern. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a uniform pattern. And you start looking at it, and, and people don't realize that. Because people, if they get into the UFO thing, they think that what's happening now has always happened. And I said, I've been in this since before Jesus was a carpenter. I know. It's different. I mean, it's completely different than it was in the 1970s. And I've, I've seen this pattern. And I keep saying to people, it's a pattern. They, they just keep changing, turning the pages of the book. And they do something else. Then they do this. Like, 
like ground traces. You'll hear Stanton Friedman talk about ground traces, 4,000 ground traces. This is physical evidence that UFOs exist. There hasn't been a ground trace in 15 years. I talked to Ted Phillips 10 years ago already. He's like, Ted, I think uh, I think it stopped. Is that true? And he said, well, yeah, it sort of stopped. I mean, it really doesn't happen anymore. They, they don't land and burn grass and leave little pod marks anymore. Now they're doing something else. It's, they, they've turned, turned the page of the book and they're doing something else. It's really, really neat when you start looking at it and you start seeing the patterns. And you see that definitely the aliens are running the show. The government is not running the show. And we're just uh, sort of uh, trying to figure out through the experiences, which is all you can do, because they're the closest. If you want to know what's going on, you got to talk to the people who are playing in the Super Bowl. And I talk to experiencers all the time in groups. And I say, you people are in the Super Bowl. You got to realize you're in the Super Bowl. This is the biggest story of all times. If you realize what's actually going on and you got to play in the Super Bowl. You may think you're some poor little victim and you got abducted and whatever. You're playing in the Super Bowl. You could have been a you know an untouchable in the streets of Calcutta. Spend your day in the junkyard looking for something valuable enough to sell for food for tomorrow. You didn't. You got to play in the Super Bowl. You may not be the water boy. You may be the quarterback. You don't know, but you got to play in this very important game, and you will be famous 500 years from now. Your relatives will say, "Ah, my great 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 grandfather. Hey, man, he was in this band," because it is the most important story of all time, no doubt about it. I, like you put that in my actually you wrote that in my book two years ago I think it was something about if this if the UFOs was a we were stories game, it would, yeah. the game yeah it would be yeah. the super Super Bowl yeah. and yeah. and that's the way it is and I gave it one time to UFO Congress and there was like seventy people in the room and they were complaining about oh stuff and they were complaining about all the stuff that was happening and I gave that thing and you could see them sitting up in their chair and they're going yeah 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 we are we are we are kind of important and they suddenly realized and that's what happens with experiences when they first have the experience when they haven't been regressed or anything they're just terrified like oh I don't you know I can't sleep and they're just going wacko and then like Chris Bledsoe who spent nine months in a room in a and his his wife locked him up in an insane asylum she uh, left him. He he was almost suicidal. He didn't want to live anymore. He sat there for nine months. His son was locked in his bedroom for six months. They were just their life was devastated. He has the regression. He suddenly realizes that he's there to carry this message. And now he's like trying to save the world. I mean, you can't shut the guy up. So it's a perspective thing that once yeah, you realize yeah. that you've got a message, that you've been given this thing by you've got a role. Because in this poll, this this uh, survey, it says how many of you believe that you have a mission. You've been given a mission. It's like 90% of the people. Yeah. So they believe they have this mission. And once you have that, you change from the victim to somebody who believes that they have a role in life. And I say to people, if you believe in reincarnation, it doesn't matter, aliens, whatever, you have a mission in this life. You're, you're supposed to do something. And the whole point of life is to figure out what the hell am I doing here? Why did I come in here? What am I supposed to do? Because I believe I did a lot of research when I was, before I got into the UFO thing, on near-death experiences and dying and stuff like that. And I'm absolutely convinced when you die, you only get asked one question. You have this panel, you go in front of this review panel, they ask you one question. How did it work out? Because you do the planning. You set up the stage. There's nobody making you do stuff. You've set up the play. I want to work on greed. I want to work on envy. I'm coming in to raise consciousness on UFOs or whatever. And at the end of life, you get asked, how did you, how did it work out? And everybody says the same thing. I could have done better. And so to me, that's what it all comes down to is I can only change myself. I can't change what the government's going to do. I can just look at what am I going to do? And I look at it. It's like, holy shit, I got six books. I mean, man, if I die, I mean, I, I, what am I going to say to the panel? Like, oh, man, I screwed that up. You know? <laughs> I, I had them just about you know written my theory lost. <laughs> you want to hear my theory? Yeah. When you yeah. die, Go. you wake up like on the bus to third grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some guy was arguing with me before. Over he said this thing about reincarnation. 
why do you got to keep doing it over? Why, why can't you reincarnate as an adult? And I said, well, because it's got to do with lessons. I mean, you got to you got to go through the lessons all over again. He thought that was that's cruel. I mean, you shouldn't have to go through childhood again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes you might reincarnate as a fish. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you would learn lessons. That's the whole deal. Is, is no, that. You don't think that's possible? No, right? Fish aren't well, high enough on the level. You're of consciousness. a species. Like, yeah. If you needed that experience, but but I, like I say, definitely. I would Trump, take a fish. Trump is coming back maybe. as a Muslim or a, a Mexican. Yeah, that I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grant has been a, an absolute blast. Um, what? We should probably, uh, I don't know, Almost we should probably wrap up it up before three you, hours. Yeah, 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 just so uh, I want to yeah. keep you fresh for tomorrow's <laughs> chat as well. Yeah, and maybe sometime down the road we'll do one on music. I'll get all the music stuff ready and we can oh. do one on music. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's just my, it, it, it's one of the, mo the most mind-blowing things to me is the amount of popular musicians. I think yeah. it's almost, I feel like when you start rattling them off, it's like every, every one of these. I thought at one point, that, that's why I looked for, for the Guess Who, because I thought, I wonder if they got, they must, I think they got everybody. I was thinking, yeah. man, they got everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, it's really weird. I mean, it's, because uh, it, I don't think people in the public realize that. No, no. It's bizarre. If you read Alien Rock, I mean, We've it just touched on it. It, it sort of kicks you when you're re reading, going yeah. like, "Wow, I can't believe this." You know. Well, I have a feeling yours are going to be even even better. So, I mean, I yeah. really hope you find uh, the right publisher and the right editor and stuff, and and you can get those things out. And when you do, like, let us know, and we'll we'll yeah we'll do this again, and we'll we'll push it out there. Okay. Right on, Good buddy. Thanks, thanks, man. Thanks, eh? Okay. okay we'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. 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 -bye. So, what'd you think, buddy? Did you keep her going? Yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was fantastic. Yeah, couldn't keep it uh, very, slow again. Very timely. I like the fast pace, man. I like that. It just keeps me going. That was the fastest two and a half hours of my life, I think. You think so? It was very fast. I've had faster. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> Every night when I sleep, those hours seem to fucking fly by. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, oh, man, I can't wait to see what uh, what the books look like. Yeah. And I don't know, we gotta we gotta pay attention to this political thing for a while, I think, too. I always have one. We should push this thing out pretty quick here. I tweeted Podesta. Did you? <laughs> for an interview. <laughs> you just don't give up, do you? No. Ever. Who was the other guy I was thinking about that we should get while we were, he was talking? Not that Merrill Fankhauser guy, but there's another guy. Another other guy? Who was it again? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This is oh, a, it was, uh, we got to get the Tom DeLonge thing going on. DeLonge? He's coming out with a, coming out with a documentary. Is he? Tom and, DeLonge? And you know who else? Porno? You know who else? That's a good one. I like that. His first name wouldn't be Tom. It would be something else like Dick DeLonge or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or with, Richard, your, with your Richard. voice going. <laughs> <laughs> That's priceless. That's a sound bite. So, um, there's a couple of good sound bites in that interview. Yeah, definitely. I wish I could ISO them. Definitely. Somebody might be able to. I'm talking to my friends in the UK. You guys with that editing experience, turn that into something. Yeah, the part where he was, uh, Pitching about getting turned into people's corporate whores or whatever would be perfect for the yeah. value for value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, always a pleasure to talk to Grant. That's almost six hours of talk time. Go back and check out our last chat with him. Uh, it's going to be in the first twenty interviews. You think so? That that is that soon? Yeah, because it was August and we only started in June. Wow, we had him that soon. Eh? That's great that he came out. 
Yeah, because remember, it was a big anomaly that that download that one got downloaded like twelve hundred times or something. We were like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> yeah. And then the next week, we were back to our regular. Yeah. Two hundred. Yeah, that was way back then. Yeah. Thank God we've steadily grown since that. Yeah. Now we've got like <clears throat> four hundred. I know who else we should interview. Who? David Duchovny. Yeah. Good luck. X Files is coming out. Fuck, I'd it's be, gonna be all interesting. All over that shit. Two of my favorite shows, Californication and the X Files. Yeah. I've seen a lot Sounds of David. Like, right, you wish they could mix them up, probably. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David Duchovny fucking some aliens. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. I've seen the trailer for the new Star Trek. Looks oh, pretty good. Oh, cool. Yeah. But yeah. So, uh, thanks. Big thanks to Grant for coming on the show. Uh, of course, check out the website for the different ways you can help support the show. Help us. It's also in the keep... show notes too. So if you're if you're listening via podcast, just right left left swipe and hit the just notes. Click the notes. Click the support button. Yeah, four clicks and you could probably donate to the show. Yeah, exactly. And uh, for less than the price of a Starbucks. So yeah, check that out. I believe this will be around our 153rd episode, all released for free, all available for free. So at uh, a buck a show, you should uh, be able to figure out where you stand. <laughs> um, anyway, check that out, grimmerica.ca slash support. Uh, big thanks. Uh, review the show. We haven't got any new reviews in a while. I think the last couple were one star. So Two of them, really? Well, there's definitely one. So go and help us uh, balance that off with some five stars. Uh, tell people about the show. That's probably the most important of all. Uh, you can do that by signing up for the newsletter at grimerica.ca slash news. And of course, spam gram. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you next week.
baby, like coast to coast. But on demand, raw and uncut interviews, and all without no ads. Once it's false, then one says true. And the rate you sing grows too. America, America is here for you. Stories from the listeners, they sent to Graham. He'll read them and be amazed. But Darren may say no. One says red and one says blue. But if it's balls, it just won't do. For America, 